For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Thursday afternoon, Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. We are counting down to Memorial Day weekend. But before we get to Memorial Day weekend, we got a lot to get to today on 97.3 ESPN. By the way, congratulations to Ryan and Steve yesterday. They won a pair of tickets to go see Shane Gillis in a comedy show at Ocean Casino Resort. And today, another opportunity for you to win. You just got to join the conversation at 609-403-0973. Phillies win yesterday. What does it mean? We'll talk with Bob Wankel about it from Crossing Broad coming up in about 25 minutes from now. We ran that poll yesterday. Nick Nurse. What should the Sixers do? Well, Keith Pompey with the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote an article that was very much in line with our listeners. I'll give you the poll results from yesterday's conversation. Should Nick Nurse be the next Sixers head coach? Football at four. Andrew DeCecco from the Inside the Birds podcast and InsideTheBirds.com. We will ask him about DeAndre Hopkins' comments about Jalen Hurts. Because what is it with all of these guys who don't play for the Eagles? Who are all in on Jalen Hurts. It's like the oddest thing in the world. I don't believe in Jalen Hurts. I just think that the overall perception is a lot. Finally, later in the show, Celtics heat tonight. What do we take heading into the game tonight? By the way, coverage of that game begins on ESPN Radio at 8 p.m. NBA Insider with Valley Sports, Brendan Scoopy Robinson will join us to talk about the Sixers head coaching search, the NBA playoffs, and Kyrie's future. All that and more still to come. Stay on Sports Bash. Like I said, you can win tickets to go see... Shane Gillis's comedy show at Ocean Casino Resort. When you join the conversation at 609-403-0973, that is the text board. Don't forget, you can DM the show through the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Before we get to the Phillies, I got to start with the Eagles because we talked about this in passing yesterday with Jeff Mosher on Football at Four. And I wanted to bring it back up today because a lot of times when we talk about quarterbacks, you know, the the, the national news has been 
salivating over Aaron Rodgers in New York. It's like a, it's like the greatest thing that ever happened to them. They act like, right? Rodgers is on the Jets. We have pictures of him in number eight in that dark green uniform. Great. Whatever. Patrick Holmes saying, it's not about the money. I just want to win. Lamar Jackson now at Ravens OTAs. But Jalen Hurts has kind of taken a backseat to a lot of these guys because he doesn't have the flair. He doesn't have the all eyes on me attitude. By the way, if you know the song I'm referencing, you get you you might get an extra entry for the the contest there for the Shane Gillis. If you if you know what song I just referenced, you might get an extra entry for yeah, you will get an extra entry for the Shane Gillis comedy show contest for the tickets today. But back to the Jalen Hurts point. Hurts is not an all eyes on me guy. He is an individual who is all about doing business, getting Things done. So when DeAndre Hopkins went on the I Am Athlete podcast and gave his top five quarterbacks, he would love to have the ball thrown to him. You know, he was asked about Dak Prescott and he said, nah. And he gave an honorable mention to CJ Stroud, who just got drafted by the Houston Texans. But his five quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, not on that list. Joe Burrow, not on that list. He didn't mention his quarterback, Kyler Murray. Maybe that's because the idea is he's already been throwing him the, the ball. Not sure. I'm not going to read too deeply into it. But no, his list was Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Now, for context, he wasn't ranking them that way. Those are just the five he came up with off the top of his head. But still, in DeAndre Hopkins' mind, Jalen Hurts is a top five thrower in the NFL. He said about Josh Allen that he loves Josh Allen, that he loves watching him play, which I thought was interesting, um, that he, he is so tuned in to a guy like Allen, called him a new school Andrew Luck, which is not good for Bills fans because Andrew Luck's career was shortened because he took too many hits. But he mentioned Jalen Hurts. And he basically said that he thinks very highly of Hurts. Mentioned the fact that he's a Houston kid, so he was very well aware of him his whole career. Because he used to play in Houston. And then he mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Everybody mentions Patrick Mahomes. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. How can you not mention Patrick Mahomes? He mentioned Lamar. Didn't really give like an explanation about Lamar. It was more like a, yeah, of course, Lamar. Yep. But then he say he thought for about, and I would play the audio, but there's like so much downtime in the audio. It's like 50 seconds between him deciding who his fifth quarterback is. And it's like, you're willing to fall asleep to it. So um, I think DeAndre needs to go to that um, media camp thing that the NFL Network has if he ever wants to get in the media because in our business, having nothing to say for 50 seconds is not a good thing. But he finally came up with that guy who plays for the Chargers, Justin Herbert. 
So that's who his five quarterbacks are. Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Not in that order, but that's his five. So it got me to thinking. No Joe Burrow on that list. No Aaron Rodgers on that list. And he definitely said no to Dak Prescott. Is Jalen Hurts a top five quarterback in the NFL? Not asking you if he's number one. I'm not asking you if he is the best. I'm asking you, is Jalen Hurts a top five quarterback? Because being an MVP candidate is not an automatic prerequisite for if you're one of the best. Look at all this conversation we're having about Joel Embiid. I mean, I got some people texting in the show saying they need to trade Embiid yesterday. I see some people online saying they got to get rid of Embiid. But Embiid's the MVP. Daryl Morey says, we're going to build around the MVP. That's what Morey said. We want to build around the MVP. But some people say, I don't care if he's MVP. Some people say, Embiid is not as good as Jokic. Right? So being a MVP candidate, like Embiid has been for the last couple of years, and then winning it this year has not elevated him at all. Six oh nine four oh three oh nine seven three. Also I'll have the poll question up in just a bit at nine seven three ESPN on Twitter. Because when you break down the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, now if you asked me who my five are I think most people would agree that Patrick Mahomes is the number one QB in the NFL, and there's no question about it. Two through five is up for debate. If you told me Josh Allen's a top five quarterback, not arguing it. If you told me Justin Herbert's top five quarterback, I'm waffling. Because I think Joe Burrow has done more with his team than Herbert has with his team. Now, I don't think Herbert is not is a bad quarterback. Not at all. I just think that he's on a team with a coach who's an idiot who doesn't know how to put his quarterback in a position to be successful. When I look at the best quarterbacks in the NFL, I factor in a couple things. One, are you not turning the ball over? It's a bit of a negative against Josh Allen. He does turn the ball over a little too much for my taste. Are you a player that other players want to play with? Well, that definitely fits Mahomes. That fits Hurts. And for whatever it's worth, it kind of fits Lamar. But really, is Lamar better than Aaron Rodgers and Joe Burrow? I don't know if I can put him ahead of Burrow. I mean, you could make an argument that the the list is, if you ordered them, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen. 
Like, those are the three right there. Then who are the final two spots? You're arguing between Hertz, Lamar, Herbert, and Rodgers. And if you look at last year, Rodgers took a huge step down. But did he take a step down because he had less talent around him? Or because he's getting older? Same thing with Lamar. Is Lamar still a top five quarterback? Or do you not have enough talent around him last year? Justin Herbert hasn't made a deep playoff run. Do we hold that against him or do we hold that against the Chargers? And then you have Jalen Hurts. MVP runner-up. But he only did it for one year. The negative against Hurts, because he has everything in his corner, his work ethic, his mentality, the players believe in him, they follow him to the very end, the organization is 100% invested in him and his success. Other players around the league want to play with this guy, not just DeAndre Hopkins. Buda Baker thinks well of Jalen Hurts. He plays defense, for goodness sake. Everyone thinks well of Jalen Hurts in the league. But if you are the person who says, I can't make him top five because he only did it for one year. I need to see him do it for one more year. Because we all agree that Jalen Hurts is the best quarterback in the NFC. But is he the best quarterback in the NFL? He's not the best quarterback in the NFL. You could argue the three best quarterbacks in the NFL are the trio of Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow. But Hurts is right there in the conversation. Statistically, doesn't look the numbers those guys do. But he doesn't turn the ball over. Players believe in him. But is that enough? Is it enough to be the guy that other people believe in? I don't know. I don't know if that's enough for some people. Because... When you look at a guy, and it's a catch-22, I'm in a different camp than the average person is. I've believed in Hurts since he was drafted. I loved the draft pick. I supported the pick. I thought Hurts could be a really good quarterback in the NFL. And that people were completely misreading his college career. Now, I said the same thing about Russell Wilson. I also said the same thing about Josh Rosen. So... You can't win them all, right? (laughs) But maybe I don't see Jalen Hurts the way I should. Maybe I have a bias in Jalen Hurts' quarter. Maybe I look at Jalen Hurts and I am rating him too highly. Maybe I'm looking at DeAndre Hopkins and what he said about Jalen as affirmation for what I already believe instead of looking at it objectively and say, you know what, DeAndre, maybe his view of quarterbacks isn't great. He played with Deshaun Watson, look what happened with Watson, right? So maybe my view's wrong. That's why I'm asking what you guys think. 609-403-0973, that's a text board. You also could DM the show through the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. By the way, guys, don't forget to leave your name if you want to qualify for the contest. 
Shout out to Ernie and Brigantine. Tupac, All Eyes on Me. That's the song I was referencing about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is not an all eyes on me guy. Ernie's got it. Good job by Ernie. Ernie gets an extra entry for the Shane Gillis comedy show tickets at Ocean Casino Resort. Remember, you only can qualify for the contest if you leave your name when you text into the show at 609-403-0973. Jeff in Ocean City chimes in and says, Jalen Hurts should be a solid quarterback in this league for many years to come. He already might be the top quarterback in the NFC. Well, he's already the top quarterback in the NFC. I, I'm, I'm not denying that. Saying he's a solid quarterback for many years to come doesn't sound like you're saying he's a great quarterback. Top five quarterbacks are great quarterbacks. Like in the past, a top five quarterback was Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. We never referred to Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers as a solid quarterback. Did you ever look at Dan Marino and John Elway and say, eh, they're a solid quarterback. It's like the, it's like the, it's like the James Harden answer about Doc Rivers. How's your relationship? Um, it's okay. <laughs> you don't say a guy's a solid quarterback and then be in the top five. So I don't, it sounds like you're not really confident he's a top five quarterback there. Uh, anonymous chimes in on the message board says, Sure, top five on a super team that couldn't win the Super Bowl. Eagles have their top five MVP quarterback, but nothing to show for it. Well, a couple things there. One, under that premise, Dan Marino's a bum because he never won a championship. Because under your premise, he has nothing to show for it. Elway, before he won those two rings with a super team around him, had nothing to show for his championship losses. Peyton Manning was basically carried by a defense at the end of his career. Do we delegitimize that championship? I mean, I, where, where do we draw the line? What what does it mean to have nothing to show for it? You say top five quarterback in a super team that couldn't win the championship. They lost the Super Bowl to the best quarterback in the league. And a future Hall of Fame head coach. So, what does that mean? Does it mean that Hurts and the Eagles are a bunch of losers? That he's a bum? I mean, I don't think so. Like I said, maybe I'm looking at it wrong. And by the way, nothing to show for it also means that you don't value competing for championships. You have to compete for a championship in order to have a chance to win it. Another text coming in at 609-403-0973 says, Jalen Hurts had a top five type season last year. Let's see how he follows it up this year before we anoint him with greatness. Now, that is a very well articulated text. Texter, I hope you send in your name because you didn't leave your name, so I can't give you the proper credit. But that's a great way to articulate it. He had a top five season, but he needs to follow it up this year before we anoint him anything. 
And on that great point, you can go to on Twitter at 973 ESPN the vote in the poll. Coming up next, we'll take a break from the Eagles and go to the Phillies. Huge win yesterday. Trey Turner game tying home run. Alec Bohm game winning hit in extra innings. Doesn't even mean anything though. Does it mean that the Phillies are back on track? Well, that's Crossing Broads Phillies reporter Bob Wankel next. Here on the Sports Bass, Josh Eddick filling for Mike Gill on a Thursday afternoon on 97.3 ESPN. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Smash on 97.3 ESPN. Shout out again to Ernie and Brigantine who got the hint when I said all eyes on me. Yes, it's Tupac. Good job by Ernie there. We'll get back to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles and Hurts' not being all eyes on me personally. But right now... Well, you have all eyes on the Phillies because Sixers, they're out of the postseason. Nobody cares about the Flyers. And, well, let's be realistic. We talk about the Eagles every day, nonstop. But, no, the Phillies got a huge win yesterday. Does it even matter, though? Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad joins us right now on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Bob, welcome in. How are you doing this afternoon? What's up, man? How are you? Good to talk to you. So does it matter? Does Trey Turner hitting a home run and Alec Bohm getting a walk-off, giving the fans what they want on a Wednesday afternoon, does it matter going into this series with the Braves? Listen, this is a huge series with the Braves this weekend. The Phillies have only played three games in the division to this point. Um, it, they have been underwhelming to this point. Uh, but as we all know, they were underwhelming to this point last year. And we know what happened from there. I don't think that's a good template. I would not recommend consistently messing around for 50 games before putting your foot on the gas. But listen, they're only a game and a half out of the final wild card spot. There's seven games behind Atlanta right now. I think the Braves are, are leaps and bounds ahead of this Phillies team. But if they win a series this weekend, say they take three out of four, all of a sudden you're only five games back with a ton of division games left to play, four more months. So, yeah, it matters. Like, I don't know that that's necessarily yesterday the win that's going to spring them to a World Series run. When we look at the Phillies video yearbook uh, next winter, are we going to look at this game and say that was the game? I have no idea, but... If, if you expect this team to compete and be in it this summer, then it was an important game to avert a sweep against a team that right now is ahead of you in Arizona in that wild card chase. Trey Turner's been struggling a lot. Like that video circulated all over the year that him swing at that ball like three feet off the plate. But then the same game, he hits a home run. And I remember earlier in the, in the show, because the Phillies were playing the same time I was on the radio and I'm sitting there like, well, you know, Turner's struggling. He'll eventually turn around. And then that home run was like, a bomb to left field. Do you think a guy like Turner needs a home run like that to get himself going? When you have a player like Trey Turner, who is a all-star caliber level player uh, and has that track record of success, you would say no, but I would actually argue the other way and say he probably does. He's in a new city. There are expectations. 
whether they're contract related or not, I think he holds himself to a high standard, knows that this team is in a position to potentially win this year. He knows that he's killed them so far. Uh, over the last seven games, he's hitting 194. Over the last 30 games, he's hitting 219. It's just not what you expect from a player like him. And I do think that no matter how good you are or how confident of a player you are, at some point there is some level of doubt that starts to creep in. And not only has he been bad, he's been especially bad in big spots. And so I think to kind of get some reassurance, some self-validation, that swing was important for Trey Turner. And I'm not saying that that's going to springboard him uh, to a, a stretch here over the next 30 games where he hits 370 and looks like the MVP candidate that a lot of people thought he would be. But I do think it reaches a point of absurdity where – you're so bad that in human nature, you start to doubt yourself a little bit. So I think the timing of the home run was especially big, and and we'll see. You know, we'll see if this is the thing that kind of gets him going now. You mentioned this is a very important series with the Braves. Of course, folks can hear the game Saturday and Sunday thanks to ESPN Radio right here on 97.3 ESPN. Four games with the Braves. Not a three-game, Bob, a four-game series. So, you know, there, there's a chance that you could split this. If you split the series with the Braves, is that a, is that a small victory or do you need to go into Atlanta and make a statement? Well, I think in a perfect world, they've, they've dug themselves this hole and you don't want to be behind a week of baseball only two months into the season. So in a perfect world, you win this series and you undo some of that damage. But I do think that if you get out of Atlanta with a series split in four games, you have to objectively kind of look at that and say, all right, they've proven that they can play with one of the best teams in the National League. And keep in mind, this series is important for the Braves too. You know, we always look at this through the lens of, of how the Phillies view a series. But if you're Atlanta, you say, hey, we were 14, 15 games better than this team last regular season. And then we let them off the hook in the postseason. So the, the Braves would love for nothing more to come into this weekend with four games at home on a holiday weekend. I'm sure, the attendance will be strong. They would love to bury the Phillies here early on. So it really is a, a pivotal series in a lot of ways. And, you know, I would tell you, if you look at the pitching matchups, you could make an argument. You can make an argument just based on who the Phillies are going to throw versus who the Braves are going to throw that they have an advantage in those first three games, and right. there's a caveat to this, and I'll explain that in a moment, but you get Aaron Nola tonight against Dylan Dodd, a lefty who's been pretty unimpressive in a very short stint for the Braves this season. You have Tylon Walker, who's been totally hit or miss, versus Jared Schuster again, a lefty who struggled a little bit for the Braves this season. And then you have Zach Wheeler versus Charlie Morton, which I like Wheeler to Morton, but it's a toss-up more or less. The caveat, though, is that the Phillies are going to face two left-handed starters to open this series. And they have been dead last in on-base percentage against left-handed pitching this season. So it doesn't matter if you come into the game as, as one of the best lefties in all of baseball. It doesn't matter if you come into this game and, and you have a 7 ERA. If you're throwing the ball from the left side, you're giving the Phillies problems right now. So this is a thing that they're going to have to figure out soon. And maybe as soon as this weekend, if they want to split, if they want to potentially talk about winning three out of four here. Bob Michael from Crossing Broad joining us here talking Phillies here on the Sports Bash. Josh Hedding filling for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Bob, you mentioned all the lefties. Are the Phillies putting out the right lineup against these lefties? Because we're seeing more and more that, I mean, I'm not even sure if you can get away with long-term Brandon Marsh not playing against more lefties, especially considering that for his career, Bob, it's not like he's a horrible hitter against left-handed pitching. 
Yeah, the the splits, especially this season for Brandon Marsh, the disparity in his production, left versus right, is not that significant. The point that I would just make about Brandon Marsh not playing against lefties on a consistent basis. Now, this past week, he's been dealing with some injury issues, and the Phillies may have looked at these matchups as an opportunity to kind of let him rest, reset a little bit. He's been going through it the last four weeks or so. He struggled in the month of May. And so in, in a vacuum, fine. You know, hey, here's an opportunity to hit the reset button, get yourself a little bit healthier. Great. But moving forward, the Phillies have to figure out whether or not they think that Brandon Marsh can handle left-handed pitching. And can he do it when it really matters? This team needs another bat from the right side. And part of the reason they need a, a bat from the other uh, from the right side, it's Trey Turner's struggles. That That's part of the equation. And obviously the loss of Reese Hoskins just before the start of the regular season, you're talking about a guy that has some on-base skills, can hit 30 home runs, can grind through quality of bats for, for you on a consistent basis. I'm not in love with Reese Hoskins, the player. The streakiness bothers me, but it's a substantial loss, and it's had a trickle-down effect into the Phillies' depth and how they match up late in games off the bench. So for me, the Phillies need to uh, add a right-handed hitter. There's no question about it. Is that right-handed hitter somebody that can platoon with Brandon Marsh if you don't think that he can hit left-handed pitching long-term? Is that right-handed hitter somebody that plays first base, or do you think Bryce Harper is the answer there, or is it more of a corner outfielder add? They've got to figure out how they want to add that impact right-handed bat. Where is that bat going to play? Uh, And that's something that they're going to need to figure out over the next two months because, again, and I've said this all along, this Phillies team – I know it sounds silly to say this right now. They're three games under 500. They're seven games out of the division. When you talk about this Phillies team, talking about a, a National League Championship Series run or a World Series run kind of seems ridiculous. But this team is built to compete. It's about winning a title now. And if you don't think that Brandon Marsh can hit against left-handed pitching come October, well, then you better come up with a solution. Unless you're really convinced that when Christian Pache gets back, that his 18 games that he played – was enough of a reason to believe that he can be that platoon piece. And that's a, a heck of a leap to make right now for a guy that has really struggled offensively throughout the, his short career. So they've got to figure out what they and how they view Brandon Marsh as a hitter. Yeah, obviously they need more right-handed bats. But the other thing they are going to need probably sooner than later is more starting pitching depth. As of right now, they have no starting pitcher announced for Sunday night baseball with Strider on the other other side of the field. So the Braves are sending their best guy to the mound on Sunday baseball from a national audience, and the Phillies have to be determined. Um, I don't know how good to be determined's ERA is, but, Bob, I feel like between the right-handed bat and the starting pitching, I don't know if you have enough resources. Maybe you know better than I do, but do the Phillies have enough resources to address the right-handed bat situation and – getting another starting pitcher in here. Because guess what? You know this pitcher really good right now who was on the Phillies last year? Kyle Gibson down to Baltimore, for goodness sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could talk about the the order of importance of the Phillies' needs. And uh, I am a big believer in that bat from the right side, but I don't think you would get an argument out of myself or anybody that the most glaring deficiency in this roster right now is starting pitching. And right now, uh, you're, you're reasonably confident what you're going to get out of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. I know they haven't up to quite their, their standard here this season, but you still feel pretty good about what they bring to the table uh, on a start-to-start basis. But you can make the argument that the other three slots in the rotation, you have no idea what you're getting right now. Right. Are you getting blow-up Taiwan Walker? Or are you getting six innings of shutout baseball Taiwan Walker? Mm-hmm. Ranger Suarez, everyone loves Ranger. We, we all know what the upside is there. We, we've seen him do it in big spots. 
You know that he didn't have spring training. He's behind schedule this year, but he's been horrible in three starts. I mean, there's no other way to say it. We can, we can excuse it away, and I think there's some validity in those excuses, but he's been ineffective through three starts. So you don't know what you're getting out of him right now. And then that fifth start, that you, or that fifth spot you're talking about with the to-be-determined going up against Spencer Strider on Sunday night. Now, the Phillies actually got away with that against the Diamondbacks. They had Matt Strom, and then they piggybacked him with Dylan Covey, who was pretty good. Five innings, one run. I don't know that you can consistently count on that. So you better cross your fingers if you're the Phillies that, that Ranger Suarez gives you some middle-of-the-rotation production, that Taiwan Walker does the same, and that you can go out and make one meaningful acquisition into the middle of that rotation. Because I think the Phillies need that number two, number three type of starter, not just like the Noah Syndergaard edition that can kind of be functional for you in the back end of the rotation. I think they need another impact arm if they really want to compete against the Houston Astros of the world, the Dodgers of the world, when it comes time to do so in October. Um, we'll see. And I know Andrew Painter's part of the mix here, but I just, if I'm the Phillies, I can't bank on that because right. he's one setback away. He's one, you know, bullpen with some tightness following it away from, that's it for the year, right? So you really are going to have to hold your breath on his progression and him getting back by later this summer. I mean, the one good thing for the Phillies that we should mention, I was talking with Steve Buchanan yesterday from DraftKings. He brought the fact that we were talking about how the American League is ridiculous right now. Like the yeah. entire AL East is could make the postseason, and then the AL Central is a dumpster fire, and the AL West is very competitive. The National League, it's like, Braves and nobody knows who the second best team is. So like, it's not like the Phillies are in a league that's going to prohibit them from making the postseason. The problem is when you get to that postseason, as you said, can you really depend on Taiwan Walker, Ranger Suarez and TBD to carry you in a postseason? Yeah, and I think that's the question, and, and you're absolutely right. If you look at the landscape of the National League right now, you like where the Braves are at, you like where the Dodgers are at. Uh, and you have to kind of you tip your cap to them, too, because they're they're perennial contenders. It's not like these teams are out of nowhere. They, they do this every year. So there's a certain pedigree to both of those teams. After that, it's, it's kind of a toss up. You know, some people really like the Brewers. I don't. I don't think that they can hit enough long term. They've started to actually come back to earth here recently. I like that Diamondbacks team right now. Like if you pin me down and I guess it's easy to say this because they're eight games over 500. But right now, if you say, you know, are the Diamondbacks a, a playoff team this season? I would say yes. They don't give away at bats. They have some decent starting rotation pieces. Zach Allen is, is arguably right now on the short list of Cy Young contenders. Like I like that team. Um, but after that, I mean, who knows? And that's where I think if you're a Phillies fan, you're reasonably optimistic that there's enough talent here, there's enough veteran experience, despite some of the obvious flaws this team has, that they will get it together and ultimately be one of the six teams at the end that, that's there. He's Bob Wankel. Give him a follow on Twitter at Bob Wankel CB for all of his Phillies coverage. Of course, the Phillies have a four-game set with the Braves starting tonight and of course don't forget to uh check out the uh, the podcast right bob with crossing broad yeah it's crossed up the phillies podcast it's myself and then uh, anthony sanfilippo who does a lot of phillies and flyer stuff for crossing broad as well perfect bob appreciate you jumping on today take care of yourself thanks a lot josh talk soon bob michael here on sports pass josh and filling for mike gill on 97.3 espn and one of the big takeaways away from that conversation is bob said look there there are two specific flaws for this phillies team which one do you prioritize if you're the Phillies? The right-handed bat, Bob says, look, I am really on that bandwagon. But I'm telling you, for me at least, 
I say the pitching. I don't know a team that has won a championship without pitching. And, you know, you look at the National League, as I said, the National League is not holding you back. The National League is not keeping you from making a run to get into the postseason. So you have time to turn around. You have time to pick it up. But it does start this weekend. You know, we mentioned it. Noah starts tonight. Taiwan Walker Friday. Zach Wheeler Saturday. You got to win two out of those three games. Because then Sunday, you're going against the Braves' best pitcher. And even though you've had, you know, a little success against Strider in the last uh, year plus, he is their best pitcher, and he's only getting better. And it kind of reminds me, at least, you know, for those of us who remember the 90s, I know some of you out there listening on 97.3 ESPN FM and the 97.3 ESPN mobile app, powered by First Bank. See, I know some of you, you know, you're a little younger than me. And I remember in the 90s, when you played the Braves in a series, any chance you had to miss one of their best guys. You know, in the early 90s, it was Glavin and Smoltz. And and you were hoping and praying you got, you know, Steve Avery or Pete Smith, right? And then the later, the mid to late 90s, the idea was is, oh man, you got Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz. And, and you had to like figure out, well, who... Who do we have the best guys against? We want to avoid at least one of these guys. The Braves right now don't have that duo or trio of starters that you're like going in there freaking out about. You know, Bob just described it. Dodd, he's not very good. Schuster's okay. Morton, I mean, he's all right, but he's inconsistent. So, you should be able to get two out of these four games against the Braves. It should not be something you can't get done. You could argue that their two best pitchers right, their three best pitchers right now are Strider, Morton, and Elder. Well, the problem with that is Morton has a 3.6 ERA. You're not going to face Elder in this series. You're only facing Strider. So there's no reason why you can't go out there and get the job done. Dodd's got an over 6 ERA. Schuster's got an over 5 ERA. You're telling me you shouldn't win those two games and then go into Saturday against Morton and at least hang on and hang around. And then if you get two or three before Sunday... You're feeling pretty good about yourself going into an off day on Monday. Yeah, the Phillies don't play on Memorial Day. They have a day off as they travel to New York to play the Mets for three games. So this is going to be a very interesting series, a very interesting barometer, not a panic meter barometer, but a measurement of where you are compared to the team at the top of your division kind of barometer. Because as Bob said, this team obviously has an issue against left-handed pitching, and they got to fix the right-handed side of the lineup sooner than later. Now, whether that's a guy like C.J. Crone, who's been rumored the first baseman for the Rockies, or whether that is somebody else, the reality is is that you can't give up too much to get that right-handed bat because you're still going to need those resources to go out and get a pitcher who is going to be as good or better than Taiwan Walker. Because right now, as Bob said, Ranger Suarez is not looking good. 
And whether that's because he's just ramping up or if that's because there's something, you know, bigger going on here, you got to address this pitching. Because as I said earlier, you cannot win a championship without pitching. And the Braves, they don't have elite pitching. The National League right now is not a league that will keep you from making the postseason. You just got to start winning games. You're 23 and 26. You're almost at the 50-game mark. You're almost getting close to a third of the way through the season. Give your text on the other side, 609-403-0973. You text in with your name. You have a chance to win Shane Gillis Comedy Show tickets at Ocean Casino Resort. Steve and Ryan won yesterday. You could be the next winner today. Keep text coming in. Jalen Hurts, is he a top five quarterback? Your concerns about the Phillies. And, of course, in the next hour, we will talk Sixers as well with Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Josh Hennig, filling in for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Wrapping up the first hour of the Sports Bash, Josh Hennig, Philly from Mike Gill on a Thursday as we count down to Memorial Day weekend here in South Jersey. Keep it tuned here at 973 ESPN. We're not just giving away Shane Gillis comedy show tickets for Ocean Casino Resort today, but tomorrow we have another giveaway you're going to stay tuned for here on the Sports Bash. You know, Mike Gill, he's not here right now. But he left me stuff to give you listening out there on the radio and on 97.3 ESPN mobile app. So keep it tuned here. We talked at the beginning of the show. Is Jalen Hurts a top five quarterback in the league? Well, if you leave your name, you have a chance to win. Shane Gillis comedy show tickets. Just like Matt and Kate May, he is entered in the contest. At 609-403-0973. That's the text board. He texted in. Hertz is just getting started. He's a top five last year quarterback and he has room to grow. Get us Matt and Kate May. Matt, I tend to think that your perspective is very much in line with my perspective in that I think that I don't know if Hertz is top five right now. Like I, he's in my top five, but I think that part of it is he still has room to grow. He has still has room to ascend into that top five, top four tier. And I think the the big question for Hertz is, even if he has a, a as if he has another you know MVP caliber season this year, what does that mean for the Eagles? Because one of the problems for quarterbacks in the NFL is, excuse me, you have quarterbacks who have amazing seasons, right? You have quarterbacks who can put up huge numbers statistically in the regular season, but they don't have postseason success. One of those guys is Justin Herbert. You know, Herbert, he has already thrown for 14,000 passing yards in three seasons. 
He's averaging almost 5,000 passing yards a year. The guy has 94 passing touchdowns in his first three years. That's an average of around, around almost 31 touchdowns a year. And on top of that, he's had different coordinators. The coordinator he had his rookie year is not the coordinator he has now when he was off at the rookie of the year. So Justin Herbert is putting up big numbers. He's showing you that he is a high-caliber quarterback. His touchdown-interception ratio is phenomenal. But his team is 25-24 and 24 when he starts. So when you hear a guy like Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts say it's not about the money, it's about winning championships, it goes to show you that, you know, how we measure success is complicated because everybody wants the quarterback who throws for all the yards and all the touchdowns. Most people agree that when Andrew Luck was playing in the NFL, when he was healthy, he was one of the best in the league. And Luck had four different seasons with over 4,200 passing yards. He had multiple seasons with 30-plus touchdowns. Never won a championship, never even got to a Super Bowl. Injuries caught up with him, derailed his entire career, and now he's in retirement. So we look at Jalen Hurts. And we say he has room to grow. Is he a top five quarterback? We all might be measuring it differently. Like the texter said earlier in the show, you know, Jalen Hurts got to a Super Bowl or a super team. So how much of it was the team? How much of it was him? The problem is, is that Herbert is putting up elite numbers as a quarterback, but his team is not very good around him. It's a catch-22 We'll get into more of that throughout the show. Josh Henning filling for Mike Gill. Two o'clock hour done. Next hour, 97.3 ES. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Three o'clock hour of the Sports Bash. Josh Henning filling for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, leading you in. Tomorrow Day weekend. You know, I was driving into work this morning. Traffic's already picking up, man. I, I So where I live right now, I have to get on the Route 49 to get to Route 50 to get to eventually the parkway via Tuckahoe Petersburg Road. Those of you know that Cape May County area. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm pulling up to Route 49. I'll wait a little longer. Get out and you know, get my way in. Got to the light of Route 50. I wait a little longer. Got to the parkway. Again, had to wait a little longer. You know, the the, uh, the drive, it's getting to be that time of year. Gotta give ourselves uh, a little more time to go where we're going. We're not getting there like we're used to the rest of the year. I'm just telling you right now. It's already started. Don't forget your chance to win Shane Gillis Comedy Show tickets. We gave away two pairs yesterday. We have more tickets to give away today here on the Sports Bash. Just text in your name and your thoughts on what we've been talking about. Is Jalen Hurts top five quarterback? You can vote in the poll 
at 973 ESPN on Twitter. Right now, 100% of the vote says Jalen Hurts is the top five quarterback. But the text board at 609-403-0973 is not as unanimous. We'll get some of your more texts in just a moment. Also, don't forget, coming up in about 20 minutes from now, Keith Pompey covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He wrote an article about Nick Nurse that ties right into our poll question from yesterday's show. Before I get back to the text board, I just want to bring up one more thing about evaluating quarterbacks. I think one of the problems when it comes to debating quarterbacks is when you look at who these quarterbacks are, you have a situation where, like I said with Herbert, how do we differentiate between who is an elite talent and who is on a great team? Patrick Mahomes did the greatest differentiation ever in sports history. The Chiefs lost their number one receiver in Tyree Kill. They had to rebuild their offensive line. And Mahomes has now won a championship with a number one receiver and without a number one caliber receiver. Travis Kelsey is now his number one target. And even though every team knows Travis Kelsey is number one target, you still can't stop him. You still can't stop Mahomes. You still can't stop Andy Reid. It's a huge differentiation point. So the problem is, is if you take away some of these players from these other quarterbacks, for example, is Josh Allen still Josh Allen if he doesn't have Stephon Diggs? Is Joe Burrow still Joe Burrow if he doesn't have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, right? I'm not saying those quarterbacks aren't those guys, but we know what Jalen Hurts If we're being objective, even though I personally think Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback, I will also acknowledge that he took a step forward once he got A.J. Brown. It made a huge difference. Now, was it the number one difference or was a bigger part of the difference Hurts being in the same offense for two straight years? That's another side of the coin. A guy like Jalen Hurts was in a different offense from basically his freshman year of college until last season. He had multiple different coordinators at Alabama. Then he transferred to Oklahoma, a completely different offense with Lincoln Riley. Gets to the NFL. He has Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson gets fired. They bring in Nick Sirianni. He has Shane Steichen. And even now, even though Steichen's gone, the concepts of Sirianni's offense are still in place because Sirianni is still very, very active in the game plan and the uh, game structure, game day structure of the offense, even though Brian Johnson is running it now. So for Hertz, how much of it is the players, how much it is the system he's in, you know, I mentioned with guys like Herbert and Luck, they put up gaudy numbers they are amazing talents. But the teams around them are not as good. So we ding them for their success, lack of quote-unquote winning success on the field, even though their talent is elite. It's an interesting conversation. Again, for those who didn't hear us in the first hour, the reason why this came up is because DeAndre Hopkins 
was on the I Am Athlete podcast, and he was asked who are the five quarterbacks he wants throwing to him. If he could have anyone in the NFL he wants. And the the guys he came up with, in no particular order, he wasn't ranking them, he was just coming up with five guys off the top of his head, were Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. So, are those the five best quarterbacks in the NFL? I say no. Now, DeAndre Hopkins says, those are my five quarterbacks. Those are the quarterbacks I want throwing me the ball. But I would say, for example, I would take Joe Burrow over Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert. You heard DeAndre Hopkins in this I Am Athlete podcast when they brought up Dak Prescott. He kind of just... Gave it the good old whistle in the wave. He said, ah, I'm not interested. I'm going to talk about somebody else. I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. I don't know if he's top five, but I don't even you know if he's top eight. But I think he's a good quarterback. And I think that you know people have been dismissing him too much of his career. Where's Aaron Rodgers in this conversation? All the television shows on almost every channel, ESPN, NFL Network, Fox Sports, CBS Sports, Aaron Rodgers, all over the place, right? But not in the top five. Is Rodgers or Lamar Jackson better? Who would you rather have? That's where the Hurts conversation comes in. Is he a top five quarterback in the NFL? Johnny G chimes in at 609-403-0973. says, hey, Josh, I would take Hurts. As my fantasy team quarterback, he is a top three. He can run for yards and TDs and has weapons to throw to. Plus, his line, offensive line is top notch. My only fear is he is one play away from injury if he doesn't play smarter and safer. That's from Johnny G in Ocean City. First of all, Johnny G, always good to hear from you. Two very interesting separate points. Because this is where fantasy sports, you know, confuse people sometimes. You could have a guy having a great fantasy football season, but he might not be the quarterback you want with the two minutes left in the game and you're down by three and you got to drive the ball 70 yards down the field for a score to either force overtime or win the game. But he might be the guy that wins you your fantasy football league and you have bragging rights all over your buddies and their money in your pocket. (laughs) So you're right. Hertz is a great fantasy football quarterback. The point you make about the injury, I think, is something that – and I don't want to point the finger at anybody particular about this. But I think it is an idea that has been propagated and a, a, a narrative that has been manipulated by certain people who are not on 97.3 ESPN radio. There has been a perception for the last 20 plus years, ever since Michael Vick came into the NFL, that these mobile quarterbacks, these elite athletes who play quarterback are, well, they're one hit away from an injury. They're, they gotta, they gotta not take the hits. And this is where the Andrew Luck conversation comes back because DeAndre Hopkins said on this podcast that Josh Allen is the new Andrew Luck. But what was the concern with Andrew Luck? Andrew Luck 
took too many hits. He ran and tried to run people over when he scrambled out of the pocket. He tried to blast people. He tried to run people over. And his willingness to take hits was the beginning of the end of his NFL career. And Josh Allen is kind of right around the same line where Josh Allen, I mean, Josh Allen's a big dude, okay? Josh Allen physically is is a monster of a human being at six foot five and about 240. Well, Andrew Luck's about the same size. You know, Andrew Luck was 6'4", 240. So you have two men who physically are large human beings. But when you take a lot of hits, you're more likely to get injured. Jalen Hurts is a guy who doesn't run to contact. He's not trying to run people over. Even though Jalen Hurts is 6'1 and about 228, and I mean a, a thick, I'm a power lifter, I can lift more than you can at the gym kind of thick, okay? He's not trying to run people over like a Josh Allen or a Andrew Luck was. So I don't think that Hurts has to play smarter and safer, Johnny G in Ocean City. I think Jalen has to keep evolving in his football knowledge of when and how to run. Because remember, the one hit he took last year was in a preseason game and he was running out of bounds and the guy dropped that late hit on him. And everybody almost started to fight with the Jets. Remember that? Well, Hertz was playing smarter and safer. He was doing the right thing and he got, and he got blasted out of bounds. Lamar Jackson, um, a couple of years ago got hit and injured sliding. He was sliding. He was going down and the guy still hit him. Remember Carson Wentz that illegal, what should have been illegal hit, but was never called by Jadavion Clowney to his head. He was sliding. He got hurt. I don't think in any of those scenarios I just named did Hertz or Wentz or Jackson not do the safer, smart thing. But in all those cases, they all were in a very ugly predicament. So I don't know if Hertz has to play smarter and safer. I think Hertz is growing as a quarterback in terms of his intelligence. And I think that, you know, the only game that he legitimately was playing a style of football that was dangerous, if you want to use that term, was the Bears game. And I blame the coaching staff for that. Why is this coaching staff calling QB power multiple times? You know, I understand we're in love with the QB sneak, but the QB sneak has value because the quarterback is not running in between the tackles every single time. If Hurts didn't have so many QB sneak calls by Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni in that game, does he hurt his shoulder? I don't think so. So is that a situation where do we blame the coaches for putting him in harm's way, not having a play call that was smarter and safer? Or do we blame the quarterback for not saying, you know what, I don't really need to run the ball up the middle here. I- I'm gonna I'm gonna opt out of this play and go to a passing play. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there is a 
specific direct answer to that. So I'm not as concerned as some people are about Hurts being one play away from an injury because guess what? Lamar Jackson got injured last year in the pocket trying to throw the ball. Justin Fields got hurt in the pocket trying to throw the ball. Both of those are mobile quarterbacks. I think most people agree that Lamar and Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields are two of the best athletes we have at the quarterback position. And both of them got injured not running in the open field. They got injured standing in the pocket throwing the ball because their offensive lines were trash. So that goes back to the other point that Johnny G from Ocean City made at 609-403-0973. He said the offensive line is top notch. So are we really worried about Hertz's safety as much if he didn't have a top-notch offensive line. Again, these are interesting questions to have about this stuff. Uh, Mr. 305 chimes in at 609-403-0973. says, Josh, I like Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen as my top three quarterbacks. I would say Lamar is four, Hertz is five, Herbert is six. But I think that Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence could crack the top five if they are great this year. I like that you brought up Trevor Lawrence because I think Lawrence is on on a serious um, ascension because I remember what he looked like before Doug Peterson got a hold of him. He was a guy that did not look like the number one pick in the draft. He looked he looked a little lost, honestly, at times last season, uh, the previous season. Doug Peterson gets a hold of him. He goes from having 17 interceptions to eight. That's a huge turnaround. You know, it's not that he was any less or more talented. But when you have a jumping completion percentage from 59 to 66%, that tells me you're ascending. I think that's a great point about Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence could be the next ascending quarterback that we're talking about next offseason as a potential top five conversation. And I think that's where the Herbert conversation is interesting because Justin Herbert, him and Lawrence are both two of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL today. You could argue that their arm talent is right up there, right behind Mahomes and Allen. But is Lawrence on a team that's going to help him make that deep playoff run that Herbert has not had, that Lamar Jackson has not had? But I think talent-wise, Lawrence is definitely in that he could be the next guy conversation. Deshaun Watson is interesting because before all the -the off-the-field issues with him and all those women, Deshaun Watson, many people believe, was a top five, top eight quarterback in the league. If he can get back to what he was doing before 2020, Watson is definitely has to be in the conversation. Now, is he higher or lower than Herbert? I don't know. The, the problem with a guy like Watson is, I don't know if it's a literal problem, but it's, it's a it's an interesting conversation. Deshaun Watson had all of his great years, that eight, 2018, 2019, 2020, where he was putting up almost 4,000 yards a year, and he was throwing for all those touchdowns, and he was considered in that one of the best in the league conversation It was before Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow got drafted. 
It was before Trevor Lawrence got drafted. It was before Jalen Hurts came along. So is Deshaun Watson still that dude? Or does he get shuffled down the list by the guys who have passed him in the rankings? The other thing about what you wrote there is Lamar at four. Lamar is going to be a fascinating test case next year because, number one, he has a new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. He had been having the same guy, Greg Roman, for years. Does a new offensive coordinator help Lamar Jackson take that next step? And number two, he has Odell Beckham Jr. now. Odell is the best receiver he has ever played with and that's even with Odell coming off an injury. Odell is not number one wide receiver in the NFL, Odell, anymore. But if Odell Beckham comes back and he is at least what the Rams had a couple of years ago, he is still a top five, top ten receiver in this league. What does Lamar Jackson look like when you have that kind of receiver? Because remember, Joe Flacco, that Super Bowl run, everyone points to how well he played. He played that well because Anquan Bolden was also playing at an elite level in that run as well. And him and Torrey Smith seemingly caught everything Joe Flacco threw in their vicinity. Not even always at them, but in the, like, the region of them. So sometimes a great wide receiver can make a quarterback take a next step in their development and their evolution. It'll be interesting to see, does Lamar do that with the new coordinator, with the new wide receiver? All right, coming up next, we'll take a break from the Eagles talk. Sixers, who should be the next head coach? Well, Keith Pompey wrote at the Philadelphia Inquirer, philly.com, who he thinks should be the next head coach. And it's right in line with our poll results from yesterday's conversation. That's coming up next. I'm Josh Henning, filling for Mike Gill here on 973 ESPN-FM and 973 ESPN mobile app, powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Now, back. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Josh, I think for Mike Gill on a Thursday here on 97.3 ESPN FM, the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. I wanted to give the results of the poll we ran yesterday. So for those who may or may not have heard all the details, what happened yesterday was the report came out about Nick Nurse being a finalist for the Phoenix Suns job after he was already talked about as a potential finalist for the Bucks job after he already interviewed for the Sixers job. And the interesting conversation that came out of that was, what should the Sixers do about that? Because 
the 76ers are a team that has a huge, huge decision to make here who their head coach should be. So yesterday we ran the poll question. Now that Nurse has interviewed for the job and there's multiple teams who are interested in him being head coach, what should the Sixers do? The three options people were given were hire Nick Nurse as soon as possible, interview all the candidates, or just forget about him. Well, the final results of the poll were very specific. You guys who voted in the poll at 973ESPN on Twitter resoundingly said, hire Nick Nurse ASAP 54% of the vote. 32% said interview all the candidates. And 14% just said forget about them. And yesterday we got a lot of texts at 609-403-0973 from people who they like Nick Nurse, but the person they really want is somebody else. You know, for example, one person said, I, I really want the guy to be Sam Cassell. One per, a couple people said they really like Frank Vogel, for example, because he's a local guy. Other people said, look, I really like Budenholzer because what Budenholzer did with Giannis. And the people who like Nick Nurse are the people who are kind of in the Monty Williams boat. They look at Nurse and look at Williams and talk about culture and environment. And so it's an interesting predicament the 76ers are in because all these candidates are good candidates. All these candidates are worthwhile people to have as the man running the organization. The the problem is, is that you're not going to make everybody happy. So it's less about who is the best man for the job or is it who makes the most sense for the job. And like I said, I think that is in many ways where the predicament is. The predicament for a team like the Sixers is you're not going to make everyone happy. I think that if you walk away from this process with either or Nurse, Budenholzer, Williams, Vogel, I think most rational people will be pretty happy with that. I think most reasonable people will look at that and say, I like that. I'm good with that. I'm down with that. I can work with that. And part of the reason why people might say that is because of the fact that, you know, Doc Rivers not being here anymore. By the way, he's interviewing for the Suns job. I think there were a lot of people who just never really liked Doc. There was always this negative vibe around Doc, whereas some of these new candidates, you don't have the the negative narrative being brought into the job. Let's bring Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer joining us right now here on the Sports Pass. Josh Henning filling in for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Keith, welcome in. How you doing today? Hey, what's up, my man? How you been? Good. So... We ran the poll yesterday, and it kind of runs in line with your article over with Philadelphia Inquirer online about Nick Nurse making the most sense for you. And it seems our audience, at least on the Twitter side, believe that Nick Nurse makes a lot of sense. So 
Talk to us about what it is about Nick Nurse that you like. You know, uh, you know the thing about Nick Nurse, I like the fact that he's a winner, right? He, he won um, overseas in the British Basketball League. He won two titles in the G League, which you know, which was at the time was known as the uh, Developmental League, and he won a championship with the Toronto Raptors. And but outside of that, you know, yes, we all know he had Kawhi. Everybody in Philadelphia remembers that team because of the four bounces uh, that eliminated the Sixers. But then the other years, it's like he was in the bubble. They they were in the semifinals in the bubble, right? And and then after that, they played the Sixers in the second round of playoffs. And outside of that Kawhi team, they really didn't have a lot of star power. You know, they had um, Kyle Lowry. But outside of that, it was one of those things where they were just gritty guys who he had a bunch of role players, and he turned them into winners. So those are the attributes that I really like about Nick Nurse. So do you feel like Nurse is the guy that can elevate some of the guys on this team beyond whatever the threshold was last year then? I do. I do. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, he's kind of unconventional in his coaching style. He's a great gamesman, uh, games, uh, gamesman uh, with gamesmanship. And I feel like he's a guy that can come up with different things and, and, and basically uh, surprise people, so to speak, or get people off guard. You know, a lot of times in coaching, we all talk about, like, uh, adjustments. But then you always hear like a coach say, oh, well, we know exactly what they're going to do. Sometimes with Nick Nurse, they don't know what he's going to do. And I and I think that's a, a huge factor for the Sixers. When you think about the Sixers opening, obviously, if Nick Nurse doesn't get the job, someone's getting the job. For you, what is the biggest thing that the Sixers – they got to get right this offseason with this coaching hire. Like, what is the thing that you look at and say, I saw this last year. They got to fix this going moving forward. I mean, you, you got to fix how to, you know, like basically, I mean, I, I guess the one thing is, you know, we, we had Joel Embiid. I mean, Joe, the one thing is Joel Embiid played great, right? But you got to get other people like Tobias Harris. You got to be able to enable him to feel like he's a part of the offense while Joel Embiid is dominating, you know what I mean? Or, or Tyrese Maxey is dominating. I feel like you have to be able to get everyone involved. One thing is defensively. I mean, I need to see some improvement with the perimeter defense. You know, I, I do. Uh, guys having more defined roles coming off the bench and, and doing stuff. So those are, are some of the things. But to me, basically – the one thing is, you know, we, we've seen the 76ers win an Eastern, not Eastern Conference title, but having the best record coming out of the gate um, and the regular season, right? They did that in Doc Rivers' first year. We've seen the 76ers be able to come back and, and have 54 wins. But what we need to see from the Sixers is getting out of the second round. So it's, to me, it's, it's like we, we've seen – we witnessed regular season success. To me, the biggest thing is, is like, what are you going to be able to do in the postseason? That's where the upgrade has to come from. Keith Pompey covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can follow him on Twitter at Pompey on Sixers. Don't forget to check out his latest over at Inquirer.com. Keith, when we talk about getting out of that second round, 
How much do you, is this offseason, need to focus on doing to Embiid kind of what the Nuggets have done with Jokic, which is giving him the complimentary talent around him? Because guess what? Jokic didn't get to an NBA Finals without Jamal Murray or without Aaron Gordon or without these other guys. He had all those guys to help him get there. You, Joel Embiid said himself, I can't do it by myself. Well, the difference between the Denver Nuggets and the 76ers is that the Denver Nuggets in the past drafted well. And outside of Aaron Gordon, most of those guys are homegrown, right? I mean, for the most part, right? So, like, we, we, we got to scratch that. And then secondly, and, 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 and then secondly, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the Denver Nuggets, I mean, the Sixers are really, they don't really have any cap space. So it's going to be tough for them to go out there and say, unless Daryl Morey is able to pull off a miracle, it's going to be tough for them to go out there and say, and say we're going to go out here and get this guy that's going to help you, Joel. So that's why the coaching thing is extremely vital, to be able to go out there and get a coach that's able to get the best out of the roster that they have. Tobias Harris obviously is a big part of the conversation for this offseason. You know, if you had to put a percentage on it, how likely or unlikely it is for him to be back next season, your your perspective? You know what? I mean, I, it, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think it might be 50-50 right about now. You know, I mean, you know, the, the thing is, you know, if you're Tobias, you probably want to go somewhere where you're going to be more of a – uh, 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 option, you know, more involved in the offense. But the thing is, the good part about Tobias is getting traded is like at some point is he's in the final year of his deal, and there's going to be there's going to be want to be a team that's going to want to take him on. The problem is if you trade him right now, I'm asking like I don't know if you can get something in return that's better than him at this particular time. And then also if you're trying to trade him just to get rid of that salary or and get something and get something back. It's kind of like a team, a, a struggling team that has the cap space available is going to ask for a first-round draft pick. And the Sixers don't have any right now, and they can't trade one until 2029. So that's the problem that the 76ers have. And because I don't know if there's a player out there that you can get that can do – more for you than Tobias and that a team is willing to part ways with. So it sounds like the people's hopes and dreams about a Tobias Harris for Pascal Siakam trade is, uh, you're saying that's a, that's a non-starter most likely. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm, if I'm Toronto, I don't know if I'm trying to trade Pascal Siakam for Tobias Harris. The reason being is you got Pascal Siakam. Now, Tobias Harris is a good player. But you got Pascal Siakam, who's an all-star, right? A multi-year all-star. Uh, he's the face of the franchise. And, you know, we're looking at Tobias Harris who's probably making more money than him, right? He's making more money than him. And it's one of those things where, uh, in addition to that, it's like he's not an all-star. And when you look at Pascal, you have to say that Pascal Siakam is a better player than Tobias. So it's like... I don't know if I'm Toronto if I want to make that deal unless I can get some draft picks and stuff like that. And you also, if you're Toronto, 
you got to be saying to yourself that we're just willing to give up on this guy. And he's like a, a homegrown all-star that you're willing to just part ways with. I don't know if I'm willing to do that. Speaking of parting ways, Keith, you are one of the people who has confirmed reports about James Harden and the interest in going back to Houston. Obviously, as of May 25th, things can change in a month's time. But, you know, what do you think is going to happen with Harden? Like, do you think it's going to be just a straight he'll sign with Houston if he goes there? Or do you think the Sixers could finagle a way to do a sign-in trade? Now, I mean, my thing is, if, if I'm Houston, I don't even know if I wanted to assign and trade with the Sixers. Because the thing is, they have $60 million on cap and, and cap space. So, like, yeah, you know, you may, like, all right, let's see what we can do. But at the same time, like, to me, it's one of those things where, like, I can get James Harden straight up, and then I can try to do a sign and trade and get another guy so I have additional piece. Like, doing it, when you have $60 million in cap straight, it doesn't benefit you to do a sign and trade. You know what I mean? It just doesn't. Especially where we're talking about is $8 million more, and then we talk about you're going to Houston where there's no state income tax. So you, you understand what I'm saying? It yeah. really doesn't benefit them to do that. Um, I think that what we'll see is, like, you know, if he goes, I mean, you know, it seems like every the sources I talked to said everybody expects him to go to Houston. So I, I think that if he did it, he just went, he'll go there and create and create as opposed to a sign and trade. Yeah, because it almost feels like the, it's not an apples to apples, but it's like everyone knew Aaron Rodgers was going to the Jets. It was just a matter of when, more so than anything else. In this hard situation, I mean, Keith, I got to tell you, I talked to a lot of Sixer fans. They are done with this guy. They want him gone. Yeah, and I'm hearing the same thing. A lot of people do. But the problem with that is, you know, like you, you know, we talked about the, like, they don't have the cap space. It's like, you know, and James Harden, he was your best facilitator, your best ball handler, you know, this and that. You know, uh, you lose a lot when you lose them. And you don't have the cap place to sufficiently replace them. So the Sixers are kind of like, you know, uh, dang if they keep them, dang if they lose them. You right. know what I mean? Keith, before I let you go, I want to ask you about one more Sixer, and that is Tyrese Maxey. You know, he is a guy that he's only 22 years old. I mean, he is still so young as as a human being and as a ball player. You know, I mean, this guy is probably a few years away from even being in his prime. You know, what can we expect from him reasonably from last year to next year to, as his development comes along? You know, I would like, me personally, I would like to see his defense improve. You know, I understand, like, you know, I would like to see him. I mean, he's shown that he can shoot the three. He's shown that he can get out in transition. I think there's two things. The maturation for Tyrese Maxey would be become a better ball handler if you want him to be a one, right? If you want him to be one, I don't think he's a one. But defensively, I think that's the area that he needs to concentrate on because it got to a point against elite teams in the playoffs and stuff like that or elite teams, he was being attacked a little bit on a defensive end. And that's what led to him losing his starting position, right? So, 
to me, in order for Tyrese Maxey's maturation to be that type of player he wants to be, you know, I think he needs to uh, work on his defense. He's Keith Pompey. Follow him on Twitter at Pompey on Sixers. Check out his all of his coverage with the Sixers at Inquirer.com. And don't forget the Locked On 76ers podcast with him and Devon Givens. Keith, appreciate you jumping on today. Safe travels. Thanks for having me, my man. Bye-bye. Josh Hedick, Philly from Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. That last part about Maxi, I think, is so big with Keith said because I was talking yesterday about how Maxi's defense is the thing that really differentiates him. You know, because a couple of people were texting in yesterday to the show about how you don't want to trade Maxi because you don't want to end up in the Drew Holiday situation. Whereas Holiday is an elite perimeter defender and Holiday is a guy who does a great job at being a facilitator. Maxi doesn't have those two traits at this point in his career. So as Keith said, if Maxi can get the defense figured out, if Maxi can become a better defender, because right now Maxi is not a, um, he doesn't have the fundamentals down. He doesn't have the basketball IQ down as a defender, but he has the athleticism to be a good defender. So it's about matching those things. I remember with Maxi coming out of Kentucky, Tyrese Maxi was not a good three point shooter. And he has now become a legitimately reliable three-point shooter. You know, you go back to college, and obviously it's only one year, but his three-point shooting was under 30%, okay? So you go from a guy who was under 30% of the three-point shooter, which is very unreliable, to now all of a sudden in the NBA, he goes from a 30% three-point shooter to a... 43% last year. So the question is, if Maxi can make that kind of developmental jump as just a shooter, can he make the same type of developmental jump as a defender, as a ball handler? That's an interesting question. I don't know if I necessarily have the answer to that, but I tend to believe that Maxi is young enough and athletic enough that if he commits himself this offseason to becoming a better defensive player, to becoming a better, well-rounded athlete, that I think that he can be maybe not an elite defender, but a guy that you don't have to take off the floor in certain situations. Because as Keith Pompey said, there were a lot of situations where they took Maxi out the floor either as a starter or in late games because DeAnthony Melton was giving them more than when Maxi was giving them. And even if Melton is back here next year, there's no guarantee that Melton is going to be able to be that guy on the floor because as we saw in the postseason, he was hot and cold. Maxi is a much more reliable offensive player compared to Melton. Melton is a very streaky guy. He was great in game one of the series with the Celtics, and he was mediocre to basically unusable on offense the rest of the series. Whereas Maxi, for the most part, has always been a consistent offensive weapon. So it's like 
we sacrifice the offense or the defense. Well, Maxi can elevate his defensive game. It allows the Sixers not to have to sacrifice so much offensively. And maybe in turn, you know, you could have a lineup where it is Maxi, Melton on the floor together playing defense because Maxi is no longer a liability. We'll check on the text board one more time on the other side, 609-403-0973. Your DMs in the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank Seattle City. Still to come, we'll talk more NBA in the 5 o'clock hour with NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson from Bally Sports. And, of course, coming up at top of 4 o'clock hour, Football at 4, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Andrew Checo joins us as he does each Thursday here on the Sports Bash. Now. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, wrapping up 3 o'clock hour here. Josh and I playing for Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget to keep sending your messages in to qualify for your chance to see Shane Gillis' comedy show at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. A couple more pairs to give away. Gave away two yesterday, two more to give away today here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Before we get the break, Damien and Dover chimes in on the 97.3 ESPN mobile app. Says, hey, Josh, I love the show. Just wondering of all the top coaches available for hire, who, in your opinion, is least likely to get hired and not have a head coaching spot come season start? That's a great question. Who is least likely? My gut instinct right now would be Mike D'Antoni because he's really only rumored for one job. The only job he is rumored for is the Sixers job. Doc Rivers is already interviewed for the Suns job. Um, Nick Nurse is interviewed for at least three jobs we know about. So my working assumption is, is that he's probably the least likely. And then I hate saying this, but I think the second least likely is Sam Cassell. Everything that I've read from, you know, Jake Fisher at Yahoo Sports to Shams on the, at the Athletic, you know, everyone keeps saying that, you know, Charles Lee, um, the Bucks assistant, Kenny Atkinson, the Warriors assistant, former head coach, and then, um, Adrian Griffin, who is the Raptors assistant, they're all getting a ton of traction and Cassell is not. And I think it's very unfair to Sam Cassell. I think Sam Cassell is is a very, very good coaching candidate. But it seems like he's not getting, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an interview issue, but whatever it is, he's not drawing interest from people. Football at four, next.
97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. My first allegiance is what will be best for the Philadelphia Eagles and our fans for the next three, four, five years. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios. It's football at four. Josh Eddick filling in for Mike Gill here in the four o'clock hour on 97.3 ESPN. Football at four. Andrew Checo joins the show each Thursday. Catch, catch all of his work covering the Eagles and the NFL draft over at insidethebirds.com. We'll ask him about the Eagles, the 53 man roster and more. Plus, we'll get his thoughts on what DeAndre Hopkins said about Jalen Hurts all here as we're counting down the hours to the start of Memorial Day weekend here in South Jersey on a football at four. Andrew, welcome back in. How you doing today? Josh, I'm doing well, man. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. So I want to start with, you know, I know we talked about it with Moshe a little bit yesterday. I want to get your perspective as well. So for those who don't know all the details, DeAndre Hopkins was asked who are his quarterbacks he would love to throw him the ball well he named five guys and Jalen Hurts was among the five so how do you read into a guy like DeAndre Hopkins who's never played with Jalen Hurts saying I want that guy throwing me the ball well I I think he's seen firsthand the exponential growth of a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who really has made such a monumental leap that you really don't see in the NFL um, from his second to third season starting. And I, I think the arrow is trending up with Jalen Hurts, and he sees that. And um, th- there's a plethora of talent surrounding uh, surrounding him, and he's able to make best use of them. And he, and like I said, the offense really just accentuates what he does well. And I think that a new offensive coordinator in Brian Johnson is going to further his development. So all those things combined, yeah, I think most receivers would want to play with somebody like Jalen Hurts, who's a top three quarterback in the NFL right now. That's interesting. You said top three quarterback. The question we've been asking throughout the show is, is he a top five? So why do you put Hurts in the top three, whereas maybe somebody else would say the three is Mahomes, Allen, Burrow? What you're saying is I'm taking one of those three out of your list, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I, I have Mahomes, and then I have Joe Burrow, and then I have Jalen Hurts. I, I can't put Josh Allen in front of Jalen Hurts right now. Jalen Hurts has delivered in the postseason, and in the on the biggest state on the game's biggest stage, he answered the bell. And Josh Allen hasn't hasn't proven that he's able to elevate his team to that level. I've seen Jalen Hurts put the team put a team on his back, literally in the Super Bowl, and make and will it to happen and make things happen. And uh, he just I've seen some special things from him last season that. It's kind of hard to put somebody who hasn't accomplished what he has in front of him. So he, he's number three for me right now. When you talk about uh, you know these different players, right? You know these quarterbacks. How important is it to you, Andrew? That I said earlier, this is my perspective on Hurts. I think what differentiates him for me is he doesn't turn the ball over. He doesn't force his team in the bad situations. And I think that is one of the most underrated parts of his game. So, yeah, he might not be throwing for 5,000 yards, but he's also not throwing you 15, 20 interceptions. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, a side note for, for Josh Allen, for as electrifying of, the, of a player as he is, he's also much more careless with the football. 
and his body, by the way. So uh, there's all these different things that, that you can that you can look at. And I just think that when his team needed him the most, he didn't necessarily come out on top, whereas Jalen Hurts moved the offense forward and, and propelled the Eagles to really hit the head the Chiefs on, on the brink, in the brink there in the Super Bowl. So um, I think that Jalen Hurts has to be a top three quarterback in, in many my, in many people's minds. What do you say to the people who say, hey, Jalen only did it for one year. How can I say a guy is top five after only one season? What do you say to those people? Well, I mean, that's that, that other quarterbacks that have been deemed top players at their positions uh, after one season. But I think you, a lot of things, a lot of variables go into that, Josh, and you have to look at the progression. Some of the things that he was doing, you, he was making some very difficult throws. I mean, I can think of the two to Dallas Goddard that very few quarterbacks in the NFL can make, you know, those throws on a rope and in tight coverage and um, just his his ability to win and his uh, the work ethic that he puts into his preparation, like he, he's a very, uh, he's the quintessential ambassador for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I think a lot of teams would like to have a guy like Jalen Hurts who's going to do whatever it takes to maximize his potential and ensure that he puts the team in the best position to be successful. And I think when you look at all those different facets, I, I think that you, you're going to continue, You they all tend to believe that you're going to see a quarterback that's going to continuously improve uh, each season, as long as he can stay healthy. You mentioned the stay healthy part. Somebody texted into the show earlier and they said that, you know, they're a little concerned that Hurts might be a hit away from an, a serious injury. How do you rate the injury concern with Hurts? Because my thing is, I think Hurts has done a pretty good job at avoiding big hits, unlike a Josh Allen who's trying to run people over because he is six foot five, 240. Well, every quarterback's a hit away from a serious injury, right? I, I mean, uh, Nick Sirianni said it best. He's not that they didn't sign Jalen Hurst to that contract. They didn't pay him more for him to do less. And what is a lot of what makes him special is his elusiveness outside the pocket and his physicality in, in goal line situations and short yardage. And um, I think that they're going to they're going to continue to utilize that as that aspect of his game. And I really don't don't think that he is that careless with how he you know how he utilizes his body i think that he's he gets out of bounds when needed he fights for extra yards when it calls for it and i think that overall he's been really smart in how he protects himself so that's not really a big concern for me those big hits and things like that can happen to any quarterback and i think the chicago injury was just sort of a fluke i mean it was sort of how he how he landed and how he fell but i mean he, up to that point josh he's eluded many serious uh, serious hits so um, I, I think that he's one of the smarter running quarterbacks and how he uh, alleviates uh, and how he's able to alleviate some of those bigger hits. We're talking with Andrew Checker for today's football at four powered by the inside the birds podcast inside the birds.com is where you find Andrew's latest article where he talks about three under the radar candidates for the Eagles 53 man roster. And there's two I want to focus in on. Uh, specifically with you, Andrew, I want to first start with Josh Job because Job is a guy. He's a holdover from last year and he wasn't, he was a guy that people had hopes for. They weren't sure what he could do, but he played a lot of special teams last year. Is he a guy that in your mind is turning into that reliable special teams player on a team like the Eagles that, for lack of a better term, values special teams more than other teams? Yeah, it's, it's no secret that I'm a big Josh Job guy. I was throughout his career at Alabama. 
He had a down year coming out. Prior to that, I had him as a higher, you know, a higher draft pick, and it just never happened. But I think the Eagles have good value there as a developmental prospect. He has very long arms. I think he could be a little bit more potentially than a special teamer for at least for some teams that aren't as deep at the position as the Eagles are. But I think that he really acquitted himself well as a gunner opposite Zach McPherson. He played over 200 snaps on special teams, 76% for the season in, in those 11 games when she was healthy and active. But uh, he's just a physical player. He plays with urgency. I think he offers positional versatility. And when you're looking at some of the players that he could could be directly competing against in camp, namely Greedy Williams, you have to wonder where does Greedy Williams, uh, is he going to be able to contribute in the third phase? I, I don't know that he can in the way that Josh Job can. So to me, I think that's going to be an interesting battle to watch because many just want to pencil in Greedy Williams to make the roster. But and when you're looking at the, the fifth and sixth spots potentially for the, you know, in, in any position, you have to be able to contribute in the third phase. And Greedy Williams is going to have to prove that he can do that. What do you think Sean Desai's role could potentially be in Josh Job's development? Because we know that um, Desai, I forgot his name for a moment, Desai, um, he has a long special teams and defensive backs coaching background. So how do you think that might influence things for Job this upcoming training camp? Yeah, I think that, that, you know, that, that sort of favors him going into camp, knowing that he has, he's a younger player. He has a year. He, he's, he's been in the league for a year. He's established himself on special teams. He was one of the very few bright spots on a beleaguered special teams unit last year. Um, and I think that he also offers positional versatility, whether it be, uh, as a potential nickel, but I think even more so as a safety. So you, you add value there potentially. Obviously, if he makes the team as the six, he wouldn't really be, called upon to play defense unless there was a litany of injuries there. But I think that you have something worth developing there in Josh Job, And he could force the Eagles' hands to keep six players at the cornerback position, which is very heavy. But I think his special teams prowess may sort of dictate that. You mentioned Greedy Williams. We can touch on him for a moment. I mean, this is a guy who was a college All-American. He led the SEC in interceptions, right? And his NFL career just hasn't really worked out due to injuries and other things. You know, what is a realistic expectation for Eagle fans? Because, Andrew, you know, Eagle fans, they see a name, they recognize, they get excited. Whether that guy can bring a thing to the table or not, they get excited. Exactly. And, you know, you, you like the name. I like Greedy Williams coming out of LSU. But when you look at his sample size, I mean, he hasn't been – he hasn't had the cleanest bill of health. And, I mean, he, he his play has been up and down largely during his time with the Browns. So – you look at the guaranteed money, there's very little guaranteed money um, allocated to Greedy Williams, which tend, would tend to indicate that the Eagles aren't overly confident that he could be uh, – you, you don't want to you know, etch him in stone as making the roster. He's going to have to prove himself. But you look at the, the limited special teams experience, you look at the, the modest guaranteed money, you know, and, and I think that you see a player that despite having a, a name and having some pedigree – He's going to have to fight for a spot on this roster. He's, you know, buried in the pecking order here. And let's not even forget Zach McPherson, who's also going to be in that conversation as well. So Greedy Williams has a bit of an uphill battle, I would think, at least, to make the roster. If you had to look at if Greedy Williams was making the roster, do you think his future long-term is as an outside corner or as something else? Because... I always wonder, was, was Greedy Williams a guy who might eventually become that, you know, jack-of-all-trades DB kind of player? 
No, I view him as an outside corner strictly. Uh, he, he doesn't have a, a ton of size that, that would that, that would indicate somebody that can hold up for a 17-game slate. So I think for me, you like his length, you like his fluidity and athleticism as an outside player. Mm-hmm. But again, when you're looking at it as a back end of the roster type of player, you want to have versatility, which you know provides optionality to a defensive coordinator. And if you can't contribute on special teams, then where, where is your active, you know, where, where can, how can you justify keeping him active on game day? So it would kind of be, you know, kind of pointless. He's on a one-year deal as it is. So he's going to have to acquit himself on special teams, I would think, to, to make an impression and make the roster. The other guy you wrote about I want to ask you about is Tyler Zentner. And I was talking with Mosher about this on yesterday's Football at Four. The Sipos situation is just so odd because – Sipos is, for all of the purposes, feels like he's like a pretty average punter in this league. And you thought when they brought in Brett Kern, he'd be better, and he wasn't as good as you hoped. And then Sipos played and did what he did in the biggest game of the year. And now you got Tyler Zentner, who is this, for lack of a better term, almost like a phenom coming out of college. And it almost feels like, well, if he can't beat Sipos, then there's no hope for the Eagles punting situation. <laughs> well... I think it's important to temper expectations. I remember, I can remember a number of years ago, a guy named Kerry Spear, who had the nickname Murder Leg, who I don't even know that he made it through the early stages of training camp, but there was a lot of, he had a highlight tape and he was known to have this big leg and things like that. And it just never materialized. So you don't want to put too much pressure on an undrafted player. But I, I think that in, in Zentner's case, there is a, there's going to be a legitimate opportunity for him to, to push Sipos off the roster uh, you know, he also doubles as a kickoff specialist, in which he did for three years at Kansas State. Uh, he, I think he was perfect. He was perfect on his field goal opportunities. I think he had a long of 53. He landed 27 of his punts last year inside the 20. And, I mean, he has a lot of upside. And I don't think that he agreed to come to the Eagles just to be a camp body. I think that there was an understanding and a mutual agreement that he was going to have a legitimate opportunity to push for a spot here. And I, I think you're going to see it take shape in camp. But is there anything more oxymoron than a guy who goes to a school like Vanderbilt and his nickname is Murder Leg? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I <laughs> I'm think just so. Saying and it's like... <laughs> also, Janarius uh, Robinson's another player that I mentioned, also as, as someone that uh, as a dark horse that could potentially push for a roster spot. Absolutely, yeah. Folks can read more about Robinson over at InsideTheBirds.com. But with the punting situation, I'm just. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here, Andrew, because like, you know, Matt Ariza, he gets cleared of all the charges. He's totally clear. The Jets bring him in for a workout. I'm just kind of sitting here like, well, the Eagles could have brought him in for a workout. Like, are they, are they that committed to the, the Sipos Zittner competition? They wouldn't even bring in somebody else, to even give him a look. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, maybe there was a, it was a, a money thing. Like there's a team that's going to, Maybe he gets in. He likes the situation better at another team, and doesn't. And the Eagles don't want to don't want to work him out, and he doesn't want to entertain a workout with the Eagles, who already have two punters. He could be looking for a more favorable destination. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I think the Eagles are comfortable. You know, based on you know, based on what you've, we've seen, that they're comfortable in the the, the head to head competition that's going to take shape this summer. And I really do think that Zentner is going to have a, a fair shake to, to push Sipos off the roster. And for the Eagles, I mean, you might be wondering, you know, give Sipos a chance of redemption this summer. Was it a fluke? Was that a, is that a sign of things to come? Is this who he really is? 
So there's a lot of things, that, a lot of questions that need to be answered this summer. And I think that uh, they have, it's good not to just hand him the job because he's the veteran incumbent. I think bringing in somebody who was a pretty prestigious undrafted player, one of the, you know, the cream of the crop as far as undrafted players go this year, I think bringing in somebody like that shows you that they're serious about giving him some run for his money. Speaking of positions of battles coming up, the Eagles did work out somebody this week. DJ Fluker, the former first-round pick. He's played tackle and guard. We know a lot of Eagle fans. I, I was telling Mosher yesterday, Andrew, every time I run into Eagle fans, they ask me about right guard. I've not met a single Eagle fan that's not asked me about right guard in the last couple months. And Fluker is a guy with a lot of experience, but he hasn't played for a couple of years. So what, what are your thoughts on Fluker coming in for a workout? Yeah, I get asked about the right guard spot a lot, too. Um, you know, that, that's interesting workout because he's played a lot of football. He's logged a ton of snaps. A lot of them have been at right tackle and, and, and guard. He's had about 300, I believe, at, at left tackle, if I'm correct on that. But a versatile player, obviously he hasn't played in two years, but their familiarity is there with Jeff Stoutland. And the Eagles really do need to add some veteran depth, I think, at least, uh, on the offensive line. I think they lost a crucial piece there in Andre Dewar, which didn't look like much on the surface. But when you have somebody you can know that you can competently plug in at left tackle should something happen, right tackle in a, in a flux, that's not his strong suit. But uh, just having somebody that you can rely on and put somebody there that's played games before at a, high, at a relatively high level is, is was, was sort of comforting if you're the Eagles. They don't have a ton right now. Jack Driscoll is in all likelihood going to be your swing tackle. And... The only other pure guard, I believe, that is on the roster is Sua Opeta. Brett Toth is a player who can play guard, and he's a tackle as well. So uh, I think adding a veteran there is really important, especially for a team that prioritizes the trenches like the Eagles do. Do you think Fluker is a guy who makes sense then for what you're talking about? Because I know that one of the criticisms of him has been his technique and dipping the head a lot. You think that is something that can be, you know, worked out with Stoutland, or do you think that, you know, because he hasn't played in a couple of years, that maybe it's a little too much of an uphill battle? Stoutland University, Josh, I, I, I would you bring believe. him in and you're a and, believer and have full and, and have full confidence that you know, they can rekindle that relationship that they had back at Alabama, and, and Jeff Stoutland's going to get the most out of him as he does any offensive lineman that's come through there, he maximizes their potential. There, he's, there's countless success stories down the line. So I think the familiarity could help. And also, this is a guy that's played a ton of snaps. So And, and he should be fresh after not playing for two years. So it certainly can't hurt to bring him in. Andrew Checo, believer in Stoutland University here on Football at Four. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Check out Andrew's latest Count Them In at InsideTheBirds.com. Get the full write-up on Ty Zentner, Josh Job, and Janarius Robinson. Andrew, great stuff today. Appreciate you jumping on. Have a safe weekend, my friend. You bet, Josh. Talk soon. Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. One thing he mentioned there at the end with Fluker I thought was interesting was he mentioned the fact that Fluker hasn't played in a couple of years, so Fluker's legs might be more fresh and his body might be more fresh than somebody else. And you have to wonder if you're not asking Fluke, let's say Fluker doesn't start the season, but he becomes your prime, one of your primary backups as a swing guard tackle guy. Does that open the door for Driscoll to be the starting guard on week one? 
Like, think about it this way. Driscoll, Driscoll last season was your primary swing guy between guard and tackle in different situations. He played when he was asked to wherever he had to play a lot of times. So if Driscoll goes in the camp and he is given an opportunity to be the starting right guard, does Fluker's value become he becomes the new Driscoll? Because Driscoll has never been not injured. The, the big knock against Driscoll is he has constantly been injured in from college and the NFL. So if he is a guy who would potentially win the starting job at guard, is he somebody who comes to Philadelphia and basically becomes the de facto backup for Jack Driscoll potentially getting injured? Again, I'm not, I'm not hoping it happens to Driscoll. I'm not saying it will happen to Driscoll one way or the other. I'm just saying it's something to think about that Fluker's value may be allowing a more, uh, a, a better right guard competition in camp between Jurgens and Driscoll. And maybe Fluker does get in, involved in that competition. It'll be interesting to see if he does get the official camp invite and what happens there. All right. Coming up next, more of your text on the other side, 609403. 0973 and Brian Winhorst says this head coaching job may be the best in the NBA. You'll hear what he has to say next and we'll get your reactions to it. Don't forget when you text in with your name, you have a chance to qualify to win Shane Gillis comedy show tickets at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. Now back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Four thirty on a Thursday. Josh and Nick hanging out with you on 97.3 ESPN FM for the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. So to come, we'll be talking NBA with NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson. From Valley Sports, we'll get his perspective on the NBA playoffs and the Sixers head coaching search. Also, you're still taking your text throughout the show, 609-403-0973. We'll get back to the uh, poll results for Jalen Hurts. Is he a top five quarterback? And your thoughts on that in just a little bit. But right now, we usually do sound of the day this time on the Sports Bash. And today... Brian Windhorst had a very interesting explanation on ESPN TV this morning. And they were having a conversation about what is the best head coaching job. Like if you have to choose any job, what would you choose? And Windhorst took a very, very different angle on this. And I don't know if I necessarily agree or disagree with him 
because I think there were parts of what he said that made sense and other parts that I think that was a bit of a reach. So I, I want to play this cut for you guys because I want you guys to react to as well as I do what Brian Windhorst says about what is the best head coaching job because he doesn't really answer the question overtly. He more so explains how the coaches think about these jobs. And I think it's an interesting point to bring up because we talked about Nick Nurse in the last hour. He's potentially a finalist for the Suns and Bucks jobs, and he's already interviewed for the Sixers. So he at least has three jobs that he is in the conversation for. So if you're Nick Nurse, how are you looking at these jobs? And this is Brian Windhorse this morning on First Take explaining how head coaches could be looking at these jobs. I think when you look at situations like this, if you're a coach that has options, and that's very rare for a coach to have options at a high level, but these are high-level jobs. I think one of the things you're looking at is ownership, and specifically the stability uh, and depth of the pockets of the ownership. And so there's in some of these cases, there's a little bit of uncertainty. You know, Milwaukee, they just had a change in ownership. Jimmy Haslam just bought a big piece of the team, and he will take over, you know, eventually as the governor of the team. Wes Eden's just stepped in to be the governor of the team. It's a little bit uncertain how they're going to work together and whether they're willing to spend. I think Matt Ishbia in Phoenix is potentially a great NBA owner. However, you know, there is an uncertainty there. He has not been in the job long, and he has shown incredible aggression since he's been in that position. Number one, with the Durant trade, and then, you know, moving um, away from Monty Williams, who has a great track record. I think when you see something like that, you're a little bit uncertain. You know, maybe a different conversation about Ishbia in a couple of years when you have a tr- more of a track record. So I actually think that Philadelphia, from an ownership standpoint, has the most stability. Uh, Toronto does too. They have great ownership, but it's a little bit unclear as to what their future, their their short-term path is going to be. With Philadelphia, you know with Joel Embiid under contract that they're going to go to win. And Joshua Harris and David Blitzer have shown um, good, strong leadership there. Um, they're stable and they're deep-pocketed. I mean, Josh Harris is in the process of buying the Washington Commanders. So um, I think that you'll consider, you'd consider ownership um, if you have multiple options here. Because I do think ownership is one of the most important things, specifically um, st- having a stable hand there. So... There's a lot there, and we'll recap it here because he specifically brings up the Suns, the Bucks, the Raptors, and the Sixers, and he explains in that whole picture that, you know, the problem with the Bucks is who's really in charge. The problem with the Raptors is what's the direction of the franchise. The problem with the Suns is, you know, is the owner a little too aggressive of an owner, you know, almost like does he have a George Steinbrenner streak in him? And then you have the Sixers where, at least the way Windhorse described it, it kind of feels like the Sixers are more of, we hire you, we let you do your job ownership. And so if the perspective of a guy looking for a job in the NBA, like Nick Nurse, I'm using him specifically because we had Keith Pompey on the last hour, and Pompey took the position that, hey, if I was the Sixers, I would hire Nick Nurse. And there's a lot of people who think very well of Nick Nurse. There are people who don't like Nick Nurse necessarily. But if you're Nurse, what do you think? You're the one who 
could potentially have three offers on the table. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to get offered the job at all three teams, but he's obviously a man of interest in all three of those organizations. And the way Windhorst described it was that the Sixers are the most stable job in terms of organizational structure and environment. So if the Sixers are the most stable and appealing job for all of these head coaches this offseason, then couldn't we argue that the Sixers have no excuse to mess this up? And I think that's where my problem with what Windhorse said was, is that he's putting it out there like the Sixers are the most stable. Are they, though? Just because you have a clear direction with where the franchise is going doesn't necessarily mean that everything is in working order with the franchise. And I think the the larger point is, what do these coaches value? I just mentioned that Josh Harris is a guy who basically hires people and just tells them to go do a job. Is that always the right thing to do? You know, in Philadelphia, we have seen different types of owners. And I think a lot of people at this point, whether they are joking or serious, look at Jeffrey Lurie as the as the best owner in the city. And they even joke that maybe Lurie should be the guy hiring the, the next Sixers head coach. But the reason why we think that way about Lurie is because Lurie has consistently been putting out the message that we want to win championships in Philadelphia. And now they have now reached three Super Bowl appearances. They've won one out of three, but they've reached three during Jeffrey Lurie's ownership. In that same time period, the only other teams that have won more championships in the NFC than the Eagles are the Giants. Notice I didn't say anything else? Oh, that, that's right, because there's no other teams winning multiple championships in the NFC. 49ers have been there multiple times, haven't won. Seahawks have been there twice, won once. Saints were got there once, they won it. Panthers have been there twice, haven't won it. Giants have at least been there, like the Eagles, three times, and they got two out of it. Washington hasn't been there. The Rams, they won, but they lost the other one in the last 20 years. The last time the Rams won a championship before most recently, it was actually the 99 season. So, okay, the Rams, but it's not in the last 20 years. Lori's done it in the last 20 years with this organization. There is a clear level of success that has been dictated by the Philadelphia Eagles. So when you look over to the Sixers, the Phillies, and the Flyers, there is this graded curve now. So when you look at the ownership of the Sixers, do we really believe that Sixers ownership could be the selling point for these head coaches? Now, according to Windhorst, it is. Now, Brian covers the NBA. Brian's been around a lot of owners. Brian has had the unique uh, perspective of his primary cover source for years was LeBron James. And you look at the people that 
LeBron has dealt with from the wacky Cavs owner to the I just let Pat Riley run everything owner down in Miami. Then he goes back to Cleveland. Then he goes to the Lakers where Jeannie Buss is as invested in the team's success as any owner in, in the NBA. So if you look at a guy like LeBron and see his interactions with these owners and then you translate that to the rest of the league and you see the fact that Josh Harris is probably more in line with Mickey Harrison down in Miami than he is with the other owners around the league. Does that make you feel encouraged as a Sixer fan that NBA owners could be the deciding factor in how some of these coaches view these jobs? I think there's a lot of Sixer fans who don't like Josh Harris. I think that they, they look at him as a guy who's not fully invested in the organization because he has all these other business properties in the sports world. You know, there's when he bought the Devils and now they bought the Washington, there's a lot of Philadelphia sports fans who kind of give him the side eye. Like, you know, dude, why are you buying teams in our division? Why are you buying teams in our area? And to which I would also say that, you know, Josh Harris doesn't really care about your fandom. He cares about making money. And for a guy like him to have the opportunity to own an NFL team, you know, he tried to uh, buy the the Denver Broncos, but um, there was obviously some speculation, and the speculation has been never, you know, uh, the, the the rumors were never confirmed as anything true. But there was a lot of speculation that the the Denver Broncos sale was was done in a bit of a shady manner because the reports were is that. Josh Harris wanted to get into a bidding war for the Broncos job, but that the Broncos, the people who are handling the Broncos sale did not want to tell him and didn't want to give him the opportunity to match any bids that they instead just went through a process and just had blind bidding. And they eventually gave it to the Walton, uh, the Walton group. So, by the way, that that is the people who also own Walmart, for those who are wondering. So the people who own Walmart now own the Denver Broncos. And mostly because Josh Harris got, you know, some people perceive. I don't know if it's it's never been completely corroborated, has not been literally confirmed, but there's a lot of, you know, rumor that basically it was kind of a um it was kind of an inside track that the Walton family had to buy the team. So Harris has been trying to buy an NFL team for a while. So it wasn't him necessarily buying the Washington, you know, to, you know, spite Philly sports fans. He just was wanting to buy an NFL team. So then, as Windhorst said, he now owns multiple teams. He is considered a successful, stable owner, whereas the other owners don't have that type of business structured stable track record and I also was interesting what he said about Matt Ishbia you know Ishbia it's a catch 22 because on one hand he never liked Monty Williams according to reports and then he fired Monty Williams he wanted him gone as soon as possible and the GM Jones basically got put to a rock and a hard place because Jones and Williams have a great relationship, but the new owner, Ishbia, and the reason why he got the job, sorry, got the uh, ownership of the Suns was in part because people wanted Robert Sarver out of Phoenix. They were so desperate 
to get Sarver and his, you know, toxic work environment out of the Phoenix Suns building and, and properties and environment. They wanted to change the environment altogether. So they were so desperate to get a new owner in there and Ishbia became, you know, the best person to sell the team to. Then all of a sudden what happens is, is that now he walks in and says, I don't like that guy. You know, it's like when somebody buys a business and you have somebody who is a well-known person at that business and the new owner says, I don't like that guy. Well, he's one of the best people here. I don't like him. If he doesn't improve in the next few months, I'm going to find a reason to get rid of him. That's what he did. So if you're an NBA head coach, do you feel better that Ishbia says you're my guy and Monty Williams wasn't my guy when Monty Williams got you to an NBA championship just a couple of years ago? Or do you look at it as, do I want to work for a crazy person? Do I want to work for a person who is who is fighting with Nikola Jokic over a basketball on the sidelines of an NBA game? Like, is that who I want my owner to be? The Milwaukee Bucks situation is just, for those who don't, I'm going to try to explain it the best I can, all right? Basically, teams like the Milwaukee Bucks have an ownership structure where, you know, they don't have a a majority ownership. Like Josh Harris's group has the largest stake of the team, the, the Harris Blitzer group. And there's a bunch of people who have minority stakes in the team but they don't have the majority. You know, Josh Harris is the what's called the controlling owner. A team like Milwaukee has a couple of owners who each of them basically take turns running the team, being the you know the controlling governor of the team operations final say. So if you are a if you are a um what's it called? If you are an NBA head coach, do you worry that if you get hired by the one owner when he's controlling a team, that the next owner controlling a team may not want you? Again, it's it's a conundrum, okay? It's what do these head coaches value? Do they value the stability of ownership or do they value something else? So it's an interesting question by Windhorse. And I wanted to I wanted to bring it to you guys because if Windhorse is saying the Sixers are the most appealing head coaching job because of their ownership, do we have to change our perception of the Sixers ownership? Or do we still look at Sixers ownership as hey, the Eagles created the 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 standard? Now live up to the standard or else. Let me know how you feel. 609-403-0973. That's the text board. You also can DM the show through the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Forget if you text in, leave your name for your opportunity to win tickets to go see Shane Gillis's comedy show at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. We'll talk more NBA in the next hour with NBA insider Brandon Scoopy. Robinson plus we'll get more of your messages on is Jalen Hurts a top five quarterback yes or no I'll give you the latest on the poll results on the other side Josh Hennig 
Filling in for Mike Gill here on 97.3 ESPN. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spash on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Henning, Philly from Mike Gill. You're on the Sports Bash finishing up the 4 o'clock hour on 97.3 ESPN. ESPN. Don't forget still to come. We'll talk NBA playoffs, Sixers head coaching search with NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson from Valley Sports. But right now, let's check in on the poll question. We asked you starting in the 2 o'clock hour. We've been getting your feedback throughout the show. DeAndre Hopkins thinks that Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback in the league. Hopkins top five in no particular order was Mahomes, Allen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. So we asked you at 973 ESPN throughout the day, do you think Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback? Well, so far, 94% say yes, he's absolutely top five. Only 6% says He's not there yet. Now, the feedback from the people on the text board at 609-403-0973 has been a little more 75-25, all right? And again, the part of the reason why I think this is an interesting conversation is because for someone like me who always thought that Jalen Hurts could be a good a very good NFL quarterback. Someone like myself who looked at Hertz and said when he was in college, this guy could play in the NFL. For someone like me, I could be walking in with a built-in bias. I could be walking into my perspective on Hertz through the eyes of somebody who saw him a certain way from college to the NFL and then that develop over the next couple of years. So for me, I look at Hurts and I say, Jalen Hurts is a top five quarterback. I think that the fact that players are the play within the, the fact that players, you know, are invested in him as a leader and as a player, the fact that players follow him, I believe all of those things factor in. All of those are factors. In him being a top five quarterback. But I understand that at the same time, most people look at the NFL and say the three top quarterbacks in the NFL in any particular order, how you want to order them, are Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. And then the next three people are basically in the debate for the next two spots. Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert. Maybe if you're someone who looks like we had somebody texting earlier, Trevor Lawrence could eventually be top five. That's always a part of the conversation. You know, so it's a question of how do you view these quarterbacks? Now, Andrew DeCecco was on football at four a little bit earlier. 
He said that he thinks Hurts is the third best quarterback. He has him ahead of Josh Allen because he thinks Hurts is a better decision maker than Josh Allen is. Maybe. Problem is, is that Josh Allen became a top five quarterback when he got Stephon Diggs. Jalen Hurts became an MVP candidate when he got A.J. Brown. So do we hold that against these guys at times? Do we look at some of these guys and don't appreciate that fact that their teammates off the catch of all the offensive line has a block for them? Lamar Jackson had a poor offensive line last year, a poor receiving core. Now they improve the offensive line and bring in Odell Beckham Jr. Does that change him? Aaron Rodgers goes to a new situation with the Jets. Does that make him a better quarterback? We'll have more of this debate on the other side. Josh Jennings hanging out with you. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Josh Jennings filling for Mike Gill. 5 o'clock hour, driving you home on 97.3 ESPN FM. And don't forget the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank. Of Seattle. So to come in about 25 minutes from now, we'll be talking some NBA with Valley Sports NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson. We've been talking throughout the show today. Just catch everybody up. You're just tuning in right now. First of all, thank you for tuning in to 973 ESPN. To catch you up, we've been talking about Jalen Hurts. Is he a top five quarterback? DeAndre Hopkins says yes. We got one text during the break that says absolutely no. I'll get to that message in just a bit. Phillies, we talked about it earlier in the show. Big win yesterday. Does it matter? Well, they got a four-game series starting tonight in Atlanta. I told you guys earlier, in theory, you should be able to win two out of four games because you're avoiding one of Atlanta's best pitchers. Their best pitcher, you're seeing him on Sunday. You get two, three wins for Sunday even comes around. Something to think about. Did the Trey Turner home run last night propel him to maybe be a better hitter? Because right now the Phillies are in going on a seven-game road trip against the NL East. Four in Atlanta, then a day off on Monday, and then three in New York against the Mets. So we're going to learn a lot about the Phillies coming up. So that's on the docket today. Also, Sixers head coaching situation. We had Keith Pompey on for the Philadelphia Inquirer in the 3 o'clock hour. Keith Pompey said to us, he thinks Nick Nurse should be the guy. Well, our poll question yesterday, 54% of you said the Sixers should hire Nick Nurse ASAP because he's in demand for the Bucks and Suns jobs as well. Now, according to reports, the Sixers have so far interviewed Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, Mike Budenholzer. You know, is there a guy you would rather have than Nick Nurse of the people who have been mentioned? I know a lot of people we talked about yesterday talked about Jay Wright. Well, Jay Wright's not a candidate. You know, people talked about Sam Cassell. Well, is anyone concerned that Cassell is not a candidate for any other job in the market? Again, something to think about. And we'll ask 
Brandon Scoopy Robinson his thoughts because we played you the audio from Brian Windhorst in the last hour. He thinks the Sixers are the best head coaching job because of their ownership situation. I know for some people out there, they're going to say, come on, Josh Harris is not a great owner. Oh, he's not a great owner compared to Jeffrey Lurie. See, he's not a great owner compared to John Middleton. Josh Harris is a businessman. He's not as passionately invested in his team as the other owners are in the city. So people look at him and say, yeah, you bought Washington and you bought the Devils and you own the, the team in England, the soccer team. You know, you're not even invested in this team. Why would an NBA owner want to come here? And the reason Windhorse gave in the last hour was because there's stability here compared to the directionless Raptors ownership compared to the ownership changes going on in Phoenix and Milwaukee. So something to think about. We'll, and we'll dig deeper into that throughout the hour. As always, here's the deal. Just like yesterday, you chime in at 609-403-0973. Leave your name when you text in and you qualify for a chance to win tickets to go see Shane Gillis's comedy show at Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City. So, Again, 609-403-0973, whereas promised, we got a text in during the break. Now, the person didn't leave their name, and maybe they didn't leave their name because maybe they realized that their position was a little over the top. But Jalen Hurts, is he a top five quarterback? DeAndre Hopkins has him in his five. Well, this anonymous texter chimed in and said top five no, and no is in all caps, just N-O, boom. The texture goes on to say, and Hopkins not having Burrow in his top five invalidates his opinion. Now, it's interesting because I mentioned earlier in the show that I would have Burrow in my top five. So does Hopkins not having Burrow in his five make the list invalid? I don't think it does because Hopkins obviously values quarterbacks differently than this anonymous texture does or I do. I think Burrow's a top three quarterback in the NFL. But for me, I look at Burrow differently than Hopkins does. You know, when Hopkins was talking about, um, when he was talking about these quarterbacks, he mentioned how, well, you know, Josh Allen, he's he's the he's the new Andrew Luck. And he mentioned about Jalen Hurts, he's like, I he's a Houston kid. I watched him grow up and become this great quarterback. And I, I love who he is as a person and his leadership and his personality. You know, when he was asked about, you know, who else he liked, you know, he didn't even name Justin Herbert outright. He just said, I like that guy who plays for um I like that guy who plays for the Chargers, right? And then he says Patrick Mahomes. He's the third guy he mentioned. It all goes out saying Patrick Mahomes. And then he says, you know, I love Lamar, okay? So from Hopkins, he's not looking at quarterback as championships, winning, moxie. He's looking at it as, I like how this guy's personality is. I like his style of play. I like his arm strength. So for him, he doesn't value the burrow intangibles. 
He values the Jalen Hurts intangibles, but he doesn't value the Burrow intangibles. But I don't think that makes his list invalid. I think that's where the anonymous texter is wrong. Because you can't just say somebody's opinion is invalid just because it doesn't have someone who you think should be on the list. Because what you're basically saying is is that you're 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 bringing a and I hate even saying it this way. You're bringing that toxic political concept into sports debate. You know, we have this conversation about sports, and it's it's not to be condescending. Listen, you know, I don't know how many times Billy Schwime in the locker room on weekends on 97.3 ESPN, Saturdays and Sundays at 10 a.m., how many times him and I have vehemently disagreed about something, yelling at each other back and forth, but we never insult each other. We never say, your opinion's invalid or your perspective is false or we're having a sports debate. So I'm not going to sit here and buy this. His opinion is invalid and a burrow in there because he is grading the quarterbacks differently. And the other problem with this anonymous texture was they didn't tell me who their top five is. If you don't have Hurts in your top five and you tell me he's not a top five quarterback, then who's your five? That's the problem. Don't come at me and say he's not in the top five and then tell me just no. You know, we had people texting earlier in the show who those who said that Hurts wasn't a top five quarterback they went and gave their five. Or they explained why Hertz wasn't a top five quarterback earlier in the show. And just because I might not have agreed with some of those points doesn't mean that they didn't make a good point. Like we had somebody text in, what was it? It says 219 today. And they said Hertz had a top five season last year, but he has to have it again this year for us to anoint him as a great quarterback. That's an excellent point. Now, that's not how I look at Jalen Hurts, but I think it's a very well-articulated point. And that person was anonymous as well. So, you know, being an anonymous texter doesn't mean you're sending a good or bad text into the show at 609-403-0973. What it does mean is you don't qualify for the Shane Gillis tickets giveaway. That's what it means. You know, Matt from K-Bay, he followed the instructions. He left his name. He's qualified for the tickets. Uh, also, the text board is 609-403-0973. On the Sixers head coaching front, somebody just texted in, I want J.J. Redick to be the head coach. Well, J.J. Redick, there's no reports of him interviewing for the job. There's no reports of him being a candidate for the job. The only job that he has been referenced to at all is the Toronto Raptors job. So you can want J.J. Redick. Larry Brown can want Jay Wright. But until those guys actually interview for the job or even mentioned by, you know, the big names, you know, Woe, Shams, Windhorse, Zach Lowe, uh, Jake Fisher, Keith Pompey, Brandon Scoopy Robinson will join us coming up in about 12 minutes. Unless those guys are reporting it, I'm not giving any credibility that J.J. Redick should be head coach. That's called, I like video games. 
And in video games, I do this philosophy. All right? Look, you can't just throw a name out there. It's like, you know, I used to work in car sales, right? And when I was in car sales, you know, somebody would come to the lot and they would be driving a certain type of car. And you would get into a conversation with them about, hey, what are you looking for? What are you interested in? All right, well, let's walk the lot and let me show you what we got in terms of what you're looking for. And then you'd have that person and I, I was in this situation a couple of times where they wanted a specific vehicle, okay, but they didn't like the color. And so you would tell them, well, we don't have that color in stock right now. Is there another color that you would like? And the person would say, no, I only want, for example, let's say it's blue, right? Or let's say it's black. I only want this color of a car or not at all. And you would tell them, well, you know, we we can place an order for you for that car if you're really intent on that vehicle. And that person would just get really annoyed with you because you're, you're kind of being obvious. You're like, look, I, I don't have the car on the lot right now. It's not available. I don't have it. Well, I mean, you know, I, I can try to get it for you. And then we get so annoyed. And, and that's kind of how I feel about the people, you know, the texter who just texted in, I want J.J. Reddick. Or, or Larry Brown saying Jay Wright. I just feel like it's like you're the kind of person who just doesn't like the choices and instead of making the best of a situation, you're going out of your way to, frankly, just be a jerk a little bit. Like, why is it so important to you to come up with a name who's not a candidate for a job? And that's what I mean by the car situation. You go to somebody and you say, guess what? I can get you the car you want, but we don't have that color right now. And them getting annoyed with you. That's why I feel about the person who texted in J.J. Reddick. First of all, we have no idea J.J. Reddick can coach a team. JJ, I mean, does JJ Reddick have any coaching experience at all? I mean, let me double check. But the last time I, I looked up his bio, right? As far as I know, Reddick has never coached anything at the professional level in his life. Let's, let's check up. Okay. So we got a JJ Reddick biography. JJ Reddick is an NBA veteran NBA player, podcast host and co-founder of 342 Productions. After 15 years in the NBA, J.J. Reddick announced his retirement. I am still not seeing anything about coaching here. Talks about his YouTube following, his podcast, him working on ESPN television. He lives in Brooklyn, New York with his wife and kids. I see nothing about his coaching. So why on earth would you want to hire somebody who has zero experience at the job that you want to hire them for. Someone explain that to me. Someone explain to me why if you own a business, okay, you own, let's say you own a radio station. Would you want to hire someone who's never been on the radio before to talk on the radio? Of course not. If you own a butcher shop, 
Would you hire someone who's never cut meat before ever in their life to be your full-time meat cutter? No. If you worked at a car dealership, would you hire someone to be the general sales manager who has never sold a car before? No. I can go on the examples. So why on earth would anybody want J.J. Redick to be the head coach when one, he's not even a candidate for the job and two, he has no coaching experience? I'm just wondering. Now, Andrew Summers point followed up and say it's just for conversation. Well, if it's for conversation, you got to give me a reason why, Andrew, at Summers Point. And by the way, he said, I didn't know who the Sixers were talking to. Well, Andrew, at Summers Point, I, I would recommend that, you know, maybe you read 973ESPN.com or jump on the 973ESPN mobile app or go on the national ESPN website or go on the athletic... The reports are everywhere. So I'll, I, so maybe Andrews are, if there are other people like Andrews Summers Point, I will, I will repeat the list for everyone out there. The report came out last week that the Sixers candidates for the job are Mike Boonholzer, Mike D'Antoni, Monty Williams, Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, Sam Cassell. That's been reported by multiple people from Woj to Shams to everybody. The Sixers have already interviewed, according to follow-up reports, Boone and Holzer, Vogel, and Nurse. All right? So, if you are like Andrew and Summers Point and you did not know that information... I apologize that I presumed that you knew that information. All right? But again, just saying somebody's name without any prerequisite is not recommended, especially in this business. Uh, Jeff and EHT chimes in on the text board about the top five quarterback conversation. He says, my top five and my criteria is what quarterbacks I would take from my franchise for the next 10 years. He says his number one is Mahomes, two Burrow, number three, Allen, four Herbert, five Hertz, six Lamar, seven Trevor Lawrence. He says, and that's the seven I would have after that. I got to give the list a little more thought. That's from Jeff and EHT. Jeff, I like the fact that you spelled out the list for me, but you also gave me the criteria. So that, that's a that's an impressive job by you. You have a future as a writer right there because you just gave me some bullet points to work with. So, but you have Hertz at five. Now, the Checo last hour from InsideTheBirds.com on Football at Four, he had Jalen Hurts at three. You have him at five. That's an interesting list. I would be curious to know, Jeff and EHC, if you get a chance to follow up on the text, what your reasoning for why you have Trevor Lawrence ahead of Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, um, 
I mean, I'm, I'm probably missing somebody off the top of my head. Um, you know, why do you have ahead of Deshaun Watson? Not saying your list is bad, Jeff. I just think it's interesting that you, you went right to Lawrence. But now your criteria is how, what quarterback would you start your franchise with? That is, that is a explicit prerequisite. And I think that's obviously a different prerequisite than DeAndre Hopkins, which is basically who does he want to play with? Jeff DHC is saying, if I'm sorry, my franchise win a championship and DeAndre Hopkins is saying, I want to play with this guy. So that is a very different criteria, but I do appreciate the breakdown by Jeff and EHT. All right, we'll get to more of your text a little bit later in the hour. Keep them coming in, 609-403-0973. Your DMs in the 973 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. But coming up next, we'll talk with the one and only NBA insider, Brandon Scoopy Robinson from Bally Sports. He joins me next here on 973 ESPN. Josh Hiddick filling in for Mike Gill on a Thursday afternoon. Now, back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 527 here on the Sports Bash. Josh Eddie Philly for Mike Gill on a Thursday edition on 97.3 ESPN. We'll get to more of your text on is Jalen Hurts top five quarterback? I see Jeff from Summers Point chiming in on that. Andrew in Summers Point. Good dialogue with him back and forth. You know, he, uh, he's talking about the Sixers head coaching situation. To dive deeper into the NBA playoffs, Sixers head coaching search and more. Joining us on the phone is NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson. You can follow him on Twitter at Scoopy. Check out the full Scoopy experience on Instagram and get you catch his coverage with Bally Sports. My friend, welcome back to the show. How you doing today? Brother, I'm doing good. I am. You're catching me on a late lunch break, so I'm eating nuggets from Chick Fil A while I'm doing this interview with you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you jumping on. I uh, I can't uh, I can't say anything negative about Chick Fil A. So I think you made a good choice there. <laughs> I think you're right, and also I'll add I do think Jalen Hurts is the top five quarterback. There you go. See even. Well, the, the whole idea was, I don't know if you saw it, but uh, DeAndre Hopkins was on the I Am Athlete podcast, and he was asked who are the five quarterbacks he wants thrown to him, and Jalen Hurts was one of the five. So, you know, the question, you know, I bring it to the audience, the idea of, you know, this is a guy who never played with Jalen who says, I want to play with him. So maybe let's start with that. When, when you hear a player say they want to play with somebody, and those two have actually never played together what does that say to you as somebody who covers a sport like the NBA? That they have mutual friends. They've played AAU. Um, and they want to figure it out. Interesting. Very, they want to figure it out. That, I like, that part is interesting. It's almost like the let's see what happens kind of thing. Speaking of let's see what happens, 
Um, Sixers head coaching situation, it, it's a hotly debated topic in this area, my friend. You know, I, I had people texting in yesterday. They want Frank Vogel. Other people saying they want Monty Williams. Other people saying, I mean, we, we ran a poll yesterday. 54% said hire Nick Nurse. So, you know, for you, how do you assess this Sixers head coaching search? Um, I think I assess it by they want a hot name. And I also assess it from a perspective of they want to make Joel Embiid happy more so than James Harden. Do you think that the priority is to not just get a big name, but also maybe change the culture of the team in the post-Doc Rivers environment? I don't think the culture should be changed. I think the culture was good. They just couldn't get over a hump. Um, I'm of the philosophy that Doc shouldn't have been fired. Um, but I also know that there are some other powers that be that control that narrative. Um I also think that if you get rid of Doc, uh, I think you should consider somebody his coaching staff as a replacement. I don't think Sam Cassell gets enough credit. I was asking the question earlier, and maybe you could be more, you know, give more light to it. But as far as I know, Sam Cassell is really only a candidate for the Sixers job, and maybe one other. Whereas I see guys like you know. Uh, uh, Lee and Atkinson's name for tons of jobs. Why is Cassell not getting more consideration around the league? Um, because I think he he like other guys that are former players are looked at as players' homeboys rather than real coaching candidates. Um, I don't have a problem with this person. I'm using it as an example. But J.J. Reddick interviews for a coaching position having no head coaching experience. And so you you dig deep into why that's a thing. And a lot of it has to do with connectivity to players. He's not that far removed from um, playing. And so he has a lot of peers that are still in the league. Well, Sam Cassell, as an assistant coach, has been around the block with Doc in Boston, with the Clippers, and now with Philadelphia, and, you know, was part of, you know, James Harden and Joel Embiid's uh, development as a tandem over the last year and a half, but doesn't get any serious considerations. A former Houston Rocket champion, you know, Ime Udoka is hired in Philly and Sam Cassell is not. In Philly, they have a vantage point of who he is and what he is and, and why. And um, I, I just think there should be more consideration. And, and, and you know, Ty Lue was in a very similar category uh, before he ultimately became a head coach. It took David Black, who people thought the world of, um, to, to get fired. And LeBron, you know, wanting that Ty Lue to be the coach in order for Lue to get his big break. Um, and it, it's kind of just... You know, the, if the point guard is the is the is the um, extension of of the coach on the floor, um, you would imagine that why not a Sam Cassell who's won multiple championships? And you know, you you look at Steve Nash who had no coaching experience, um, get the head coaching position, 
in Brooklyn. Relationships are what carried him. Um, and, and I just hope that the same could eventually happen for Sam. It doesn't seemingly uh, look as though that's going to be the case in the city of brotherly love. When I had Keith Pompey earlier on the show, he thinks that he would pick Nick Nurse if the Sixers asked him who should be the head coach. What do you think of Nick Nurse as a coaching candidate? I think he's a great coach. Um, I think he's somebody that, um, like Frank Vogel and like Eric Spolstra uh, with the Miami Heat, um, just outworked everybody um, and wasn't a sexy name. Uh, in the beginning of his coaching career. And, I mean, I, I like him in Philly. I think he he checks those boxes. I, I don't have a bad thing to say about him. Uh, I think he'd fit. Uh, and, and Keith Allied has been very spot on in, in a lot of things that he's been reporting uh, on, on, on the Philly front. So um, I, I, I would co-sign what, what Keith says. Um, but I also think that moving forward, there are some there are so many rich names um, that are out there that are not the recycled candidates. You may mention of uh, Kenny Atkinson, who you know I've gotten to know over the years, uh, just, uh, starting during his time in Brooklyn, and then ultimately you know with the Warriors uh, and spending time with him o- o- off the clock uh, in, in San Francisco. And you know he turned down that position uh, with with uh, the Charlotte Hornets in order to stay in Golden State. Um, I, I think he's another example of somebody who you know, exceeded a lot of expectations. And I actually think that the Nets and their rebuild are in a similar place now where they were when Atkinson was, you know, there in Brooklyn. I just think there are a lot of guys who grind out, make things happen that, you know, don't get the name or get the chance to be an assistant coach on the Warriors team like, like Atkinson ultimately did. But um, I, I think Nick Nurse definitely exemplifies somebody who's, who's done a good job coaching, but, there are other candidates out there who, you know, who do get overlooked. The other guy I want to ask you about is Frank Vogel. He's a popular name in this area because he's a Wildwood High School graduate. He's a well-known guy in the area. He's someone who had a, a cup of coffee coaching on, as an assistant before he went to Indiana. What is your take on him as a head coaching candidate? Because now you mentioned people who have had jobs already. He's already had three jobs before this cycle <laughs> began. Well, you know, um, Frank and I uh, have the same agent. And it's funny because Frank's agency also represents Doc Rivers. Um, and it's just interesting how those wheels turn there. Um, I say that to say um, that Frank exceeded a lot of expectations in Los Angeles. And I think that's the reason why his name is being brought up. You know, you win a championship, you, 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 you definitely um, – you, you definitely raise your profile when that happens, especially coaching alongside one LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and others. That bubble championship had its twists and turns. Um, but I do think that Frank Vogel, like Eric Spolstra, uh, was a, was a, and even Taylor Jenkins and, 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 um, Memphis are three guys that were not Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, Greg Popovich, Doc Rivers. And they just they they benefited from strong defense and names, you know, high profile names. Um, I, I think for Frank Vogel, I think he has a, a this point in his life, he has the luxury of being picky with where he wants to go. Like I know there were a lot of teams that were interested in him um, last last off season, and he kind of just took took his time. 
Um, I don't think he should be in a rush. I also think that um, if he decides not to go back into coaching, I definitely think TV is in his future. Uh, he has the personality um, to, to do so. Um, and, the, and the connectivity to today's player. Um, I, I, I'll, a quick story. Um, Phil Handy, who uh, is an assistant with the Lakers, uh, sat down with me um, last summer, and he talked about his interview process with uh, Vogel and how he had never, there was no prior relationship with Vogel. Um, and, you know, he came in his office and he had on a Gucci belt, Gucci loafers and shorts, and he just was cool. It was nothing like you would assume he'd be. He just was this down-to-earth guy um, that really loved basketball and, and really poured into his players and, and really just wanted to get a good product out. And, you know, they got that product out and winning you know, the, the, the NBA finals uh, in the bubble. And, um, you know, I, I look at Vogel and I look at his track record. I mean, this was a Paul George team that he led um, that was going toe-to-toe against LeBron and, and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh's Miami Heat. They just couldn't get past it. Um, I think that even his level of, of productivity and connectivity and dialed inness, if you will, might be even more lauded had they gone a little further uh, last decade in, in the finals or deeper in the playoffs. And, I mean, I just think he's he's a decent coach, but um, I just think in today's coaching search, it's less about name and more connectivity to today's player. Talk with NBA insider Brandon Scoopy Robinson from Bally Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Scoopy and also on Instagram at Scoopy for all your NBA coverage and more. Joining us here, Josh Lake playing for Mike Gill on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, the aforementioned, we mentioned Keith Pompey was on the show earlier today. I want to ask you, he among others are reporting about James Harden potentially going to Houston. A lot of Sixer fans, they're not happy with, uh, James Harden after that series. You know, what is your position on Harden and his future? Because he's not getting any younger. I understand Harden says, I, I, I want to maximize my dollar before my career is done. So I totally understand why he's opting out of that player option. Um, I think it's more to it than just flexibility. Um, from folks that I've spoken with close to James, James himself, um, and just his peers, I, I think James enjoys uh, being in control of his bottom line. And I think that um, Philly had a short shelf life once Doc Rivers was fired. Um, it, it because, And I also think that Daryl Morey is in a situation where ownership is asking more questions. And I think Daryl Morey is in a position where even though Harden is his guy, Morris still has to give an account for who he is, what he's done, and why he's here. And I think Houston quietly is building something that is younger, leaner, and more fits towards Harden's play style. But the crazy thing about it is Harden can fit in just about any system. That's what makes he and LeBron so similar in that regard. You could just plug those two guys in, and they are effective at their point forward point guard, whatever you want to call it, position. Um, Houston is familiar to him for obvious reasons, having played there. Um, also, Ime being in Houston, they have a relationship from their time in, in Brooklyn as 
assistant coach and, and player. Um, but James has restaurants. I ate there. The Brussels sprouts are pretty daggone good. Um, he's promoting wine and more. But I, I think from a from a play perspective, um, I, I think uh, Udoka system at this point, knowing what they have on the floor fits. I think if Harden was to come back to Houston, I think it would be a very similar situation as LeBron finding his way back to Cleveland for the second time around. Or Wade, less Wade because Wade was towards the end. But I just think that when when James Harden left, he left because Steven Silas was an unproven head coach at that time, and he knew where Houston was going. I think this time around, the owner is sold on creating a product that the fans can lean on. And you don't just bring in Ime Udoka uh, for your health. You obviously have a plan. And I would imagine that that plan, if Harden does come back to Houston, uh, is deeper than just bringing him in and, and putting him around young guys. Um, because I think when you bring a star, that magnet attracts other stars. couple more for Brandon Scoopy Robinson, NBA insider with Ballet Sports, before we let him go. Uh, obviously, I will never ask you to speak for Kyrie Irving. He made it very clear that he can speak for himself on his Instagram Live. But I will ask mm-hmm. you this. Um, Kendrick Perkins brought up the idea of Ky- excuse me, Kyrie Irving coming to Philadelphia, replacing James Harden. I know there's a lot of speculation out there about you know him going to L.A., rejoining LeBron. Let me ask you this question. I don't want you to speak for Kyrie. I want you to tell me who you think is the best destination if you were making the decision for Kyrie? The Phoenix Sun. Why? Um, well, number one, Kyrie did say he doesn't want other people to speak for everybody or he doesn't want other people to speak for him. And he said 98 to 99% of people um, can't speak. You notice and say 100. You notice my track record. It speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't apply for me. Um, I say that to say this. I do think um, that when it comes to Phoenix, um, one of the reasons why it does fit is because of a lot of the drama that was Brooklyn that was less about basketball, more about New York, that won't be an issue in Phoenix if he were to decide to go there. Um, I also think that... Um, Anytime you have a new owner who comes in, he cleans house, and he wants to create something in his own image. You saw him do that with Monty Williams and his departure, and you also see it with bringing in Kevin. Um, And I'll be honest with you, Phoenix was trying to bring both Kai and Kevin together in separate trades uh, at the trade deadline. If you go back to my tweets, I said that the two destinations for Kyrie that will likely happen are the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. He went to Dallas at the trade deadline. Phoenix, um, in order for that to happen, they'd have to include some sort of package with and work with the Dallas Mavericks in which uh, you complete a sign of trade for Kyrie and you ship DeAndre Eaton to Dallas. It solves the problem that Dallas had in lacking a big man or someone of size, and it solves the point guard problem. Um, or uh, they'd have to figure out what they were going to do with Chris Paul Keep them, trade them, whatever. But I do think that that adds scoring firepower power for that team, and I think they'd be successful. They'd have to add other pieces. Um, but I, I do think that 
um, the Phoenix Suns do make the most sense. Um, Los Angeles Lakers, to me, from folks that I speak with, um, there's a belief that Kyrie um, in L.A. would be like Brooklyn all over again. Um, as far as the Philadelphia 76ers go, um, it makes some sense. Um, I know that they were on a list uh, of teams that uh, Kyrie and his agent requested uh, for possible trade options. Um, he's been to two of those requested teams. Um, but I do know uh, that Kai is not in a rush, as he stated then. And um, in conversations that I've had privately with folks, um, the day that the Dallas Mavericks or the day that free agency opens, Kai's not pressed to sign that day. Um, and that they're going to give the Mavericks their just due to get their roster in order before making a decision. That was told to me. Yeah, so in other words, Kyrie Irving is uh, playing the long game and not the short game, which is always exactly. a good thing to do. Before I let you go, I'm running out of real estate, but who do you think wins tonight, Celtics or Heat? I'd like to see the Celtics win. Uh, it'll be a boring uh, Memorial Day weekend without basketball. Uh, so I'd like to see the Celtics win it and uh, keep this thing going. But um, the Miami Heat have played bar none great basketball, and I'm glad to see their success nonetheless. And we'll see what happens. But I'd like to see the Boston Celtics win it tonight. No offense, my friend, but the only person who says a potential boring Labor Day weekend without basketball is someone who's never lived in South Jersey before. Okay? It's... Well, listen, <laughs> I, I, I visited and we've had dinner there, so I know there's something to always do. It's my birthday weekend, so I'm not going to be bored, but I get your sentence. I got you. I got you. Well, listen. Folks, give him a follow on Twitter, Scoopy, for all your NBA insights and more. Also on Instagram at Scoopy, Bally Sports, NBA insider and friend of mine, Brandon Scoopy Robinson. Happy birthday early. I appreciate you jumping on. Take care of yourself, my friend. My brother, thank you for the opportunity to be myself. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Yeah, I got, I got him beat by a few days. It was my birthday last week. It's his birthday this weekend. But, uh, you know, we're, we're all, we're all, all in the month of May here. We got going on here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hennig hanging out with you. We'll wrap up the show coming up on the other side. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget the 97.3 ESPN mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle City. Now, without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, wrapping up the show. What a busy show it was. Lots of text messages throughout the show. I'll contact the winners of the Shane Gillis Comedy Show tickets after the show. Because uh, today was the final day. We will have news of the next giveaway tomorrow on the Sports Bash on 97.3 EES. Because tomorrow's also Happy Hour Friday. Get a little twist for you for Happy Hour Friday. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. We'll have a little fun with that tomorrow. Before we get out of here, a couple texts to get into here. Uh, let's see here. 
Jeff in Summers Point. I gotta find there it is. Um his top five quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts number one, Pat Mahomes number two, Josh Allen three, Aaron Rodgers four, Geno Smith five. Jeff, I'm okay with most of that list, but Geno at five? Come on, man. That's either you're just trolling me or you're just, you know. I don't know. Maybe you're a are you a WVU alum? Is that what it is? <laughs> uh, one more message, a couple more messages squeezed in here. Um, another text says, one and two is either Burroughs and Mahomes in no order. For me, it's Josh Allen three, Jalen Hurts four, Lamar Jackson five. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be a disappointment in New York, though. He could see on the Hanley take Green Bay to a winning record last year like he could in his prime. Interesting take. Um... I don't know if Rodgers is cooked at all. I I tend to think that last year he was a byproduct of a team that was not very good. Just my personal perspective. But we'll see what happens in New York. Um, a lot of good texting. Couldn't get him all in as I could. Josh Hennig, best of sports bash next on 97.3. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.